click, pay, and download instantly. Welcome to the podcast. What's the worst thing about selling your home? Probably all the times you'll have to scramble for a last-minute showing and somehow clean the dishes, pick up your kids' toys, make all the beds, and get out of the house in an hour. Sounds exhausting. That's not the case when you buy and sell a home with Orchard. They'll help you buy and move into your new place first, and then Orchard will take care of all the showings on your old house. That's right. You're already in your new house. No crazy last-minute scrambling. Take a look and see how Orchard can help you at Orchard.com and get started with a no-cost, no-obligation offer. That's Orchard.com. What's the worst thing about selling your home? Probably all the times you'll have to scramble for a last-minute showing and somehow clean the dishes, pick up your kids' toys, make all the beds, and get out of the house in an hour. Sounds exhausting. That's not the case when you buy and sell a home with Orchard. They'll help you buy and move into your new place first, and then Orchard will take care of all the showings on your old house. That's right. You're already in your new house. No crazy last-minute scrambling. Take a look and see how Orchard can help you at Orchard.com and get started with a no-cost, no-obligation offer. That's Orchard.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Crypto channel. I hope you're doing well. I have some very big news to share with you all. We're going to talk about a representative out of California pushing for Speaker Pelosi to include the amendments in the infrastructure bill. So this thing is not dead yet, guys. There's still hope here, and I want to go through the details of what's happening. In addition, there's news about how much money crypto companies spent in lobbying. And of course, we know they have to increase that. And I'm going to go through the details and my interview with Congressman Tom Emmer and what he said along those lines. Also, Cardano, guys, due for a big upgrade with smart contracts enabled. What will this do to the price? We are already seeing it pump, right? But I think the price could really skyrocket from this upgrade. And I'm also working on an interview with Charles Hoskinson. Um, in addition, I want to talk about Wyoming looking to attract Bitcoin miners. We've been talking about this game theory playing out. These states are going to be battling to bring crypto companies and miners to their states to generate revenue, jobs, and so forth. We're also going to talk about a huge, huge, huge Australian company that just bought a significant amount of Bitcoin miners. And uh, we see Valkyrie has just submitted for a Bitcoin futures ETF because Gary Gensler said he's thinking about a Bitcoin futures ETF instead of a physically settled Bitcoin ETF, right? So we're going to go through the uh, details there. And Ripple's lawsuit with the SEC, there's some very key dates that we want to review uh, because this lawsuit is, of course, super important for the crypto market. We're going to go through all of it. Before we do, please go ahead and hit the thumbs up button, share this video. Uh, please leave a comment, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on the podcast sites like uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and give me five stars, guys. It helps support the channel. It doesn't cost you anything. So thank you for that. This video is brought to you by OKCoin Crypto Exchange, where you can buy, sell, and trade your favorite cryptocurrencies at low fees. Uh, you can also stake your crypto and keep 100% of your rewards. Stake Cardano, stake Tezos, keep 100% of your rewards. Link in the description to sign up. Also, be sure to sign up for my free weekly newsletter, All Crypto Insights and Knowledge. Um, some interviews coming up tomorrow. My interview with Mark Moss, who's a YouTuber and market analyst, will be live I also have an interview signed up with the founder of the Chamber of Digital Commerce, Perianne Boring, later this month. I'm also working to get an interview with Ripple co-founder, Arthur Brito, and like I mentioned, trying to get Charles Hoskinson, the founder of Cardano. So the market here, guys, if I refresh CoinMarketCap, 
we're seeing a slight pullback. Remember, nothing goes up in a straight line. We saw a massive pump, and now we're going to see our respective little dip on the way up. And it's not even registering here on the Bitcoin weekly chart. If you look at the daily chart, you will see some uh, red candles, but nothing major, right? Even with a green candle looking uh, like it's going to break, break out to go up to the next leg. So nothing goes up in a straight line. You have a pump correction, uh, mini dip, I should say, correct, uh, pump, dip, uh, pump, dip, and so forth, right? Uh, and we are, of course, in, still in a bull market. This is the next leg up for the bull run. Now, is that 100% certainty? No, I say it's an 80% probability and, and uh, likelihood that we are there, 20% that we may not be. If anyone tells you 100% guaranteed this is what's going to happen, they're lying to you. No one can predict the future. Now, guys, um, I want to go through a couple things here. So Representative Anna G. Enshu, if I'm saying that, Eshu, excuse me. Uh, tweeted the following, today I urge Speaker, Speaker Pelosi to amend the cryptocurrency broker language in the Senate's infrastructure bill. The legislation imposes new reporting requirements on miners, validators, and developers of wallets who would be unable to comply with these requirements. This is great. Once again, th this bill, even though we didn't get the amendments in, it's still not uh, in its final phase of being signed. It still has to go in the, in the checks and balances of the process of the government. So if we can get like Speaker Pelosi to say, okay, no, we need these amendments here, that will be great. Um, I'm, I'm still hopeful. Uh, we'll see what happens, but we need more people, other folks in Congress and so forth to step up and to say what we need um, to, to push back, right? To, to uh, go through that process. So here's a letter she tweeted. This is awesome. Glad to see this is happening. Um, and let me read uh, just a little bit of it here. Uh, it says, Dear Speaker Pelosi, I write to express concern regarding the tax reporting requirements for cryptocurrency brokers in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. The bipartisan restructuring uh, in infrastructure legislation recently passed by the Senate. The legislation imposes new reporting requirements on the cryptocurrency industry by expanding the definition of broker to include anyone who regularly facilitates the transfer of digital assets on behalf of another person. Such broad language encompasses not only the exchanges that provide a marketplace for trading digital assets, but also entities like cryptocurrency miners, validators, and developers of wallets. In the decentralized system of cryptocurrencies, these individuals and entities do not know who the buyers and sellers are and would be unable to comply with the broker requirements. And of course, we talked about this. This is unenforceable. How the hell are you going to know, you know, track down all these people and see who, who did this at this step? It's crazy. They don't know what they're doing, right? <laughs> and it's clear. We, we saw Ted Cruz's speech where he's like, can five members of this Congress or whatever panel, can you come up and say what cryptocurrencies are? It, it wasn't even five. So this is what we're dealing with. And many of you who saw my interview with Congressman Tom Emmer from today, he talked about it, right? He's like, there's people with white hair like myself <laughs> uh, who don't know what the hell they're doing, right? They haven't been educated. And that's what we're dealing with. And guys, if you haven't seen that interview, and I'm not saying because I want more views. I'm saying because I want you to have knowledge and knowledge is power. Uh, 
Congressman Emmer, amazing, amazing man, great visionary, understands what's happening in the market, is forward thinking, understands innovation. And you can see here, he retweeted my um, link to the video and he quoted himself here with uh, saying the opportunities that crypto provides for people to be involved in the financial system are unlimited if the government gets out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, and, and this is what we're, we've been seeing, you know, the SEC and some of these folks are looking to do some overreach here because they want to control crypto as much as possible. So once again, definitely watch this interview with Congressman Tom Emmer. Link will be in the description. Now, something I want to go through here. Uh, this is from CNBC this morning. It says the crypto industry spent on uh, $2.4 million dollars. Well, it looks like they have a typo there. Spent $2.4 million on lobbying during the first half of this year, according to the Center for Responsive Politics. And here's, here's the issue. It didn't seem like it was enough. Why? We're going up against the incumbents, the big banks, the Wall Streeters, right? We talked about Janet Yellen being a lapdog for the bankers and, and even the likes of Richard Sherman, uh, Shelby, excuse me, Richard Sherman, Shelby out of Alabama, the man who... I, I think his his excuse was BS, you know, oh, I didn't get my amendment. But I think if you look at his campaign donors, you'll see why. Um, but I think the crypto companies need to lobby harder. They need to put more money. And one good thing, the silver lining out of this whole infrastructure debacle was that um, it brought the crypto community together. The politicians in D.C. saw how big this industry is and how many people are behind it. So th there's some silver linings here. And, and Congressman Tom Emmer, I asked him this question, you know, my interview, like, what is, what, what is it going to take? Is it more advocacy, education, lobbying? He's like, yes, that's going to have to be a big part of it. So I think a lot of crypto companies have to wake up and, uh, and come together and they have to do more together. So the likes of Coinbase, I know Ripple has been lobbying very hard, uh, Coinbase as well, and, and what more of these companies got to come in. What's what's probably going to be good is, is that a lot of the firms that are now holding a lot of Bitcoin and crypto and are, are building products are probably going to start lobbying as well. So I think I think there's, there's the future is bright. Once again, this doesn't kill crypto. They cannot kill crypto. Make no mistake by, by, about it. That's not hyperbole, guys. It's decentralized. It's not respective to one market. This is a global thing. And even if they try to put some very strict regulations, guess what people are going to do? Those of you who remember Monero, the privacy coins, people are going to move to that. How do, they can't stop it, right? And there's going to be, people will move outside of uh, exchanges. We saw sites like Local Bitcoins. It allows you to just meet up and swap Bitcoins, right? Or, or uh, excuse me, if you want to buy or sell your, your Bitcoin, people will find a way. They cannot kill it. But the good thing, I think, you know, and a few folks have said this, is that they, they are trying to tax it heavily and control it, but they're not trying to kill it. But if they were ever to try to kill it, is that uh, people will move to coins like Monero and, and these other privacy coins. So uh, it's not, you know, even as much as they try, the, the train has left the station, it's barreling down the tracks, they can't stop it. Let's talk about Cardano. Cardano's ADA uh, surges as much as 22% after creator Charles Hoskinson stokes hopes its smart contract update is imminent. So Cardano is about to get smart contract uh, update um, in place, guys. The price has been pumping. We saw the alts moving really strong. Right now, Cardano is like at $1.88. And 
I think um, Cardano will perform really well. I have it in my portfolio. Um, not as much as maybe my other cryptos. I'm more bullish on like XRP, Bitcoin, Ethereum, but Cardano is going to do well. And, and we're so early uh, in this market. You know, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of funds that are coming in because of speculation. Not to say that there's uh, there isn't any utility. There is some utility, but we're still early, right? Think about the early days of Google. They didn't have billions of people using them yet, but they were on the rise. That's kind of how we're we're, we're on the rise here. We're getting adoption, but a lot of it is speculation. So I'm looking to get an interview with Charles uh, Hoshkinson. Um, I'm in contact with their the, the PR folks. So we're trying to get something nailed down on the calendar. So Hoshkinson, who is the CEO of Cardano's developer input output HK said Tuesday, he will reveal the date of the final release of the Alonzo update on Friday. Now here's a quote, we'll be able to announce when the Alonzo hard fork is going to happen. And at that point, we'll be able to run smart contracts on Cardano. That's bullish. I, I like that they're getting updates here. Um, and of course, you know, once I get that interview locked in, I'm going to ask Charles a lot of questions. So I'll be sure to get everybody's questions that are they're listening. You know, I'll, I'll put out my normal tweets and messages for you guys to submit your questions. So Check this out. Wyoming is leaning into crypto in a push to attract miners and other crypto-related businesses. This was reported by CNBC. And of course, a big part of that is uh, Caitlin Long, who I've interviewed on my channel a couple of times. I'm looking to interview her again, but uh, she's very busy. We might get something in September or October. But as I've been saying to you guys, if you've been subscribed to the channel, you're going to see a Bitcoin mining boom in the United States and states are going to compete to try to have folks come to their states to mine Bitcoin and set up crypto businesses. Uh, don't listen to the people who are lying to you about Bitcoin saying, oh, ignore it. Bitcoin's here to stay and it's going to be a big part of the crypto economy. Um, is it the fastest, the best crypto? Absolutely not. Is it a great store of value? Hell yes. And we can see that corporations are adding it to their balance sheet and hedge funds and investment firms are buying it. So people who are emotionally uh, worked up and a maximalist and, 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 and tribalism, that's nonsense in my opinion. Uh, Bitcoin is here to stay, but so are other cryptos and digital assets. I think common sense would, would tell you that, right? Now check this out. Austria, Australia's Mawson infrastructure purchases 17.3 thousand uh, Bitcoin miners from Canaan. The ASIC miners <clears throat> will be deployed across Mason's flagship facility in Georgia and its Australian site from Q4 2021 through 2022. So see, this, some of these things are not even slated to happen like next month. They're into 2022, 2023, because once again, put your business thinking cap on here, making these purchases, which are millions of dollars, these people are expecting a return on their investment. They know what's coming, higher prices, mass adoption, mainstream adoption, mass marketing, and this is where you have to be patient and zoom out and, and look at the market from a macro perspective. And that's how these big players, the smart money, that's how they're looking at it, guys. And it's happening globally here. This is in Australia. This is not the United States. I'm sure some of it is happening in the United States, but it's happening globally. Makes me very bullish. Now, Gary Gensler, head of the SEC, when he was asked about a Bitcoin ETF, I think it was just last week, he's talking about uh, you know, I think I think a Bitcoin futures ETF might happen. Okay, 
sign of what these companies are adjusting their strategies now. Here's the headline, approval incoming. Valkyrie becomes the fourth firm to apply for Bitcoin Futures ETF. So they see potentially that a Bitcoin ETF could be approved this year. It sounds like it's the futures one, which is not ideal. It should be physically settled, but uh, we'll see. This, this is why I'm going to be real with you guys. I always, I'm real. If they do the paper settled uh, ETF, over time, they will be able to manipulate the market like they have with gold and silver. Um, that's not good. That's not good. That's why you should take profits and have a plan because these returns, these higher prices um, may not last forever. I'm not saying be scared and all the, you, you need to cash out now. I'm just saying have a plan and keep in the back of your mind that um, it's not always you know green candles, right? There's going to be a bear market. There's going to be some manipulation and you have these big players getting in. So that's why you need to, in the early days, because you're here early, take profits, um, know what you're holding long-term, what you're staking, what are you lending, what are you borrowing, earning interest on, have a plan. And um, you know, it, don't let the bull market pass you by and then you're in the bear market like, man, I should have took profits. Have a plan. I can't stress that enough and I'm speaking from experience. Having gone through that, I know I was like, man, I should have took profits off the table, right? So I'm talking from experience, guys. And this is why I'm being real with you, because this is a futures ETF, not a physically settled ETF. And that worries me, because if you know the history of what they've done with gold and silver and ETFs, paper, not the physically settled, they're going to be able to manipulate it eventually, the likes of Goldman and JP Morgan and so forth. So... Uh, that's how I'm looking at it. Yes, I'll be keeping some crypto long-term, but I'm going to be making sure I take my profits and put that money to work, uh, not to have it sit in the bank to, to lose value from inflation. I'll be putting it into other assets to grow over time in a business, pay off debt, things like that. So I'll, I'll keep it transparent with you guys, right? So that that's I want you to think about these things, uh, have some food for thought, right? Finally, XRP lawsuit versus Ripple upcoming due dates. There's a lot here. This is some uh, James Filin, uh, 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 excuse me. August 16th, Ripple's response uh, to the SEC's emergency motion for discovery conference regarding Slack communications and any motion to seal exhibits uh, filed with that motion. Uh, August 17th, the SEC's response to Ripple's motion for a discovery conference regarding the SEC's improper assertion of the Deliberate, deliberative, my goodness, I can say that, process privilege in any motion to seal exhibits filed with that motion. August 31st, fact discovery deadline. Uh, October 15th, expert discovery deadline. Um, and it looks like there's, there's a lot to go through here, but I just want to let you guys get an idea. This thing's going to play out, it looks like, to the end of the year, and maybe into 2022. So once again, perspective, um, and we don't know what's going to happen. I, I believe Ripple will come out of this well. I believe Congress will eventually wake up and they will put the right things in place. We see Gary Gensler is getting called out by GOP of uh, Republican Financial Services. We talked about it yesterday. The CFTC doesn't like what he's doing with the overreach. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, my, my gut tells me Ripple is going to win this and that Congress is eventually going to get it right. But it's probably going to be a bit painful <laughs> till we get there, right? All this back and forth and jargon and all that. So just heads up, guys. Um, 
so guys, what do you think about this news? Um, are you as bullish as me on Cardano? And, um, you know, we got, we got some movement here. We got some bullish activity. So I'm excited for the future of this market. There will be setbacks and pushbacks because of, uh, you know, government, government uh, inability to understand certain things and they're not educated. So uh, be sure to watch my interview with Congressman Tom Members so you can get a download of, of a lot of what's happening behind the scenes with the government and crypto regulations. Thank you guys for watching. Once again, hit the subscribe button, hit the thumbs up button. If you're listening on the podcast sites, give me five stars, guys. Doesn't cost you anything. Thank you. Appreciate it. And I'll talk to you all later. If you're committed to building healthy habits, it's time to let Noom put psychology to work. Making a big change to your lifestyle is hard, especially if you rely on sheer willpower alone. Noom's award-winning program can help you form sustainable eating and exercise habits that last. With Noom, no food group is off-limits, and there's no complicated calorie counting either. Instead, Noom's cognitive behavioral approach helps you better understand and manage your relationship with food, one meal at a time. Whether your goal is to feel more energized, boost your mood, or improve your stress levels, Noom gives you the tools to make it happen. Best of all, it takes just 10 minutes a day. And because Noom is tailored to your goals and based on leading evidence-based psychology and nutrition science, you know you're always getting the expert guidance and support you need to make lasting progress. Start building healthy habits today. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com habit. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash habit. What's the worst thing about selling your home? Probably all the times you'll have to scramble for a last-minute showing and somehow clean the dishes, pick up your kids' toys, make all the beds, and get out of the house in an hour. Sounds exhausting. That's not the case when you buy and sell a home with Orchard. They'll help you buy and move into your new place first, and then Orchard will take care of all the showings on your old house. That's right. You're already in your new house. No crazy last-minute scrambling. Take a look and see how Orchard can help you at Orchard.com and get started with a no-cost, no-obligation offer. That's Orchard.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. G'day, Di Henwood here, BA Victoria University, and I also do the ACC's Mad Monday podcast. If you're a rugby league fan, then make sure you check out the ACC's Mad Monday podcast. It's available now on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. New Zealand's best cricket podcast, On the Front Foot. Join the voice of cricket, Brian Waddle, alongside former New Zealand cricket captain, Jeremy Coney, as they discuss and dissect all the latest news from the cricketing world. On the Front Foot. Listen and follow on iHeartRadio. News Talk ZB. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with 120 years global agribusiness experience. Grow with Rabobank. Good morning, New Zealand. Welcome to the best of the country. My name's Jamie Mackay. Every Saturday morning between 6 and 7 on News Talk ZB, Gold AM and Hokanui, the little station that could. Uh, the best of the country is brought to you by Rabobank. 
the world's leading food and agribusiness bank on the show today. Going to kick it off with David Seymour, ACT Party leader, high-flying ACT Party leader. Caught up with him earlier in the week. We asked him whether there's ever been a better time to be in opposition. Graham West is the national president of the New Zealand Farm Forestry Association. He said a recent Beef and Lamb New Zealand report that significant areas of pastoral farmland are being converted into forestry is a bit alarmist and needs to be put into context. We'll get that side of the story from Graham West. Todd Charteris is the chief executive of Rabobank. We caught up with him earlier in the week also to have a look at the bank's hot off the press August Agribusiness Monthly report, which sees uh, New Zealand agri commodity prices marking time at real highs, but for how much longer? Jim Hopkins, rural raconteur, who's right behind the call for no jab, no job. He's no fan of Greta Thunberg, but he's a big fan of New Zealand farming. Got a special interview we did from our Auckland studios on Friday with Nadia Lim. She is wonderful. Of course, celebrity chef, founder of My Food Bag and farmer. And uh, we're going to wrap it with Judith Collins. Caught up with her on Thursday's show. And we asked uh, Nationals leader about her roadmap out of COVID ahead of uh, the Prime Minister's announcement on Thursday. We looked at the latest polls, including elect one, which was rather positive for the centre-right. Her bizarre mating dance ritual, with mating dance-off really, with Simon Bridges, and what she wants to do with Winston. No, not Peter's. The portrait, that Winston. All that on the best of the country. It is brought to you by Rabobank the world's leading food and agribusiness bank. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with a huge network of progressive farming clients. Rabobank. David Seymour kicks off the country today. Here's an opener for 10 for you. David, has there ever been a better time to be in opposition? Gee, the government is just spoon-feeding you stuff at the moment. Well, there's a lot to oppose. The government is screwing up well. Let's see the energy markets, the vaccine rollout, immigration, the hate speech law, the gay conversion therapy uh, law. No one knows what that's about, but it seems to be about interfering with discussions with children. The um, climate change policies got everyone up in arms. The, the, the transport is, is terrible. You go back to the bike bridge. I mean, there's just one thing after another. Uh, and, you know, the trick for us as a, as a opposition party is actually to try and focus on the things that are most important to uh, New Zealanders. I think clearly this week uh, that is COVID. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Uh, they have three layers of defence. One is vaccinate at the border. Haven't done that. Two is test at the border. Uh, haven't done that. Um, and three is be prepared to trace uh, any outbreak. Well, the minister has admitted that Delta would outrun uh, any outbreak, so that's near useless. Uh, you know, the Australians call themselves the lucky country. Well, we've just had uh, 11 people on a boat in contact with 98 people in New Zealand, um, 89 of whom were not vaccinated, they're not testing properly. Those people were all over Tauranga. Um, that's how close we've come uh, to a full-scale New South Wales-style meltdown. Um, I think we should officially be renamed the lucky country. Oh, I'm with you on that one. It beggars belief, those vaccination rates or lack of, 
at the front line on our ports. Admittedly, our airports are probably doing a wee bit better, but that is bizarre. And um, and I heard Chris Hipkins defending the situation, saying you can't force people to take a vaccine. There's only two port pilots. If one of them refuses to take a vaccine, the port closes down. But this should have been dealt with months ago. The rule should be no jab, no job. Well, the rules were that, but unfortunately, when you've got a Prime Minister who will let her Minister of Health go mountain biking in the middle of a supposedly one-in-a-hundred-year crisis, breaking the rules that his own government made, uh, that was David Clark. Uh, you know nobody's going to take a ultimatum from announcements Ardern seriously. She's all announcements, no action. And as a result, uh, when she said in April, uh, you know, it's the deadline this month for border workers to be vaccinated, uh, actually, uh, it was going to go through to August. And now she's saying, oh, well, you have to do it next month. Well, how seriously are people yeah, going to absolutely. take Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's a joke. Um, OK, can, can I just move on to the, the power yeah. outage? As someone said on Twitter last night, it's like we're sort of some... Uh, 1980s Eastern European bloc Soviet nation or something like that. We can't even keep the power on a country that has so much natural resource as we do. In fact, to make add insult uh, to injury, we're burning imported coal from uh, Indonesia to keep the fires going. Well, yeah, and it's another one of those where to start. First of all, it's it's too hard to build capacity in New Zealand. Um, Huntley is built on a coal field, but they haven't got enough consents to take it. Therefore, we're getting the coal from Indonesia. Uh, generally, it's very hard to get people to invest in capacity. If you're in the oil and gas industry, you got completely whacked. And if you're talking about building hydro capacity, getting consent for that, forget it. Um, the things that the government does seem to like um, are solar and wind. Um, but on a very windy night, it's too windy for wind power, believe it or not. There's a, a sweet spot for wind speeds. Um, and uh, what's more, you don't really get a lot of solar at night. So it, as a matter of fact, the, the real climate crisis um, was a, a cold, windy night um, in the middle of uh, August. So, uh, look, there, there's a whole lot of things there the government could have done differently. They've had all these working groups and inquiries. Um, what they should have been asking about is where's energy security in all this, not 100% renewables, which even the Climate Change Commission agrees is a silly goal. Uh, the question should have been, uh, how do we get internationally competitive uh, energy prices uh, with security? Because no matter what the rest of the world does on climate change, you can guarantee they'll be doing that, as a whole lot of people just found out last night. And as industry has been finding out um, with $500 a meg wholesale prices for, for the last few All months. Right. Hey, a bizarre one. That is bizarre, should I say. David Seymour, let's just finish on your stablemates in Parliament on your side of the House. The National Party, what, what's going on there? I mean, you, you're kind of not overtaking them in the polls, but you've overtaken Judith in terms of uh, personal popularity. And Simon's growing his hair long and has written a book. What do I, what do I need to read into that? Um, real difficult to say. I mean, uh, you know, politicians are funny characters and... Uh, he may just be enjoying having a bit of pressure off him and having a good laugh. He may have some Machiavellian plan. I, I guess that's why some people like political intrigue. Look, but he had that bizarre dance-off with Judith at the National Party conference. Am I the only one who thought that was a bit strange? Oh, well, I know a bit it's about It's like a mating ritual. And, uh, 
Well, you know, I'm no ornithologist, but it looks positively avian <laughs> to me. Um, I do know a bit about dancing. Oh, I thought he was doing okay. <laughs> David Seymour, thank you very much for your time. Got to go. Maybe that dance-off with the avian theme, maybe Simon's just got the bird flu. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> hey, thanks very much for your time. See you later, Jamie. The Best of the Country with Rabobank. The bank with local agribanking experts passionate about the future of rural communities. Rabobank. Well, you might remember last week on The Country, we caught up with Sam McIver, Chief Executive of Beef and Lamb New Zealand. He's worried about some of the good pastoral country in this country heading into forestry. Right, let's add some balance to this discussion. I got an email over the weekend from Graham West, who's the National President of the New Zealand Farm Forestry Association. And Graham, Mm -hmm. you would argue that significant areas of farmland being converted to forestry is alarmist. Pray tell why. Well, thank you, Jamie. Yes, um, well, first, let me say that, you know, many um, beef and lamb and farm forestry members are in common, that they, they, uh, we have common membership and lots and, and, and aligned. But um, the report just needed to be to put things into context. That is that the areas they indicated being converted, when you looked at it uh, as, a, as a percentage of the 8.5 million hectares in dry stock, it's only about 1.5%, so um, it's tiny. And this, uh, you know, vacillation between farming and forestry by about 100,000 hectares swinging back and forth has been occurring for decades, and so really there was nothing much new there, and they were really uh, telling the full story. Beef and lamb, I think the number they quoted off the top of my head was 700,000 stock units lost from pastoral farming, to forestry, that's significant, though, Graham. Well, it, it may be, you know, in terms of animal numbers, but you know, we've had one hundred and thirty-two thousand hectares of forestry converted into farming, and uh, you know, how many million trees that is we lost, I don't know. But um, you know, it, it's this is a free enterprise country, and you know, owners of land have the opportunity to follow whatever. Um, land use they like and whatever market trend they would you know, wish to choose. So what's, perhaps what's more important here is that the opportunity around forestry is not really being well expressed. I guess uh, the Farm Forestry Association, you sit in the halfway house really between pastoral farming and forestry. You maybe can enjoy the best of both worlds. Well, that's right. So we've got 1,300 members who are you know, um, practicing farm forestry, so they're already on board with having this type of land use diversification, growing timber and trees, and, you know, many see a great future for wood, and that's the bit perhaps that beef and lamb may never want to say or get, is that the the opportunity for New Zealand to supply wood products and biomaterials into the world is really a burgeoning and it's just fantastic. So, you know, you need, just as you think that we're going to sell prime cuts of meat to wealthy Asians, we will also sell them lots of wood products like packaging, cardboard, toilet paper, whatever. Um, so the, there's a huge upswing uh, in the use of wood in Asia. Yeah, totally get that. No problems there if we grow a tree to export and earn income dollars. What about trees that are planted for carbon credits only? Where do you sit on that? Well, I, they're called permanent carbon forests, but, but personally I don't believe they'll ever be permanent. Um, that, that's the first thing. 
forests simply aren't permanent, and our grandfathers sort of took care of that. Uh, so that, you know, once the um, ETS plays out, and if carbon ever returns back to zero, and it should if it achieves its goal, then, then those forests will be free to be felled and, and, and harvested for timber. And it's very likely that some of them could be thinned even now under this current regime of producing But timber. isn't the so, price of carbon likely to go up rather than down? Well, only for a period of time, but if it works and we fix climate change, then it's going to come back down to zero. If it doesn't, we're buggered. <laughs> well, that's one way of looking at it and putting it. Look, here's a question for you. From a farm forestry point of view, the good old days, and I remember back in the 80s and 90s, farmers went out and they planted the gully out the back and pine trees with a view to harvesting them in 25 or 30 years. It was land that wasn't of particularly high value. But the reality of it is, Graham, correct me if I'm wrong, the forestry companies don't want the gully out the back that's been planted in pine trees. They want something closer to a port. They want something something with an easier contour, they want scale? Not necessarily, no. And, and farm forestry wants all of those things, but forestry doesn't have to be practised at scale to make profits. And that's all our members will, will tell you that if you come to a field day, you know, that people are planting five or ten hectares, making $60,000 a hectare, and, and are very, very happy with that sort of land use regardless of whether it's in a gully or on a class 6 land or whatever so no, I, I think the, the, there's a need for a lot more information around the forestry opportunities so that these people can get on board and, and, and earn from it so we've got lots of happy happy members that have made you know, possibly millions of dollars in some cases It's all about the right tree in the right place Graham West, National President of the Farm Forestry Association, do appreciate your input into the country Thanks. Thank you, Jamie. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with 120 years global agribusiness experience. Grow with Rabobank. This one is hot off the press. It's the Rabobank August Agribusiness Monthly Report, and it's titled New Zealand Agri Prices Marking Time at Highs. Does that mean the Good times are over. Let's ask the chief executive of Rabobank, Todd Charteris. And, you know, commodity prices have been very high. How long can they defy gravity for? Yeah, good afternoon, Jamie. Um, yeah, look, the prices do remain very strong, as you say, and I think that's um, uh, that's certainly something to be positive about. But um, there is, you know, probably just some signs there, um, particularly with dairy commodity prices, um, and perhaps what's um, what's happening in the Chinese market in terms of their own domestic production, there's probably just a few things there to to be mindful of. But hey, prices still remain very very high. We should or should we be concerned when Chinese inventories are nearing highs because we know that they can they can manipulate the market. They've done it before. They'll do it again. Yeah, well, look, there is a little bit of concern around those inventory levels, as you say, and. and you know, because they've certainly been importing a lot of product, um, but equally, you know, our indications suggest that their, their production is actually growing over there as well. So, so there's just a little bit of concern there to be mindful of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the good news is that the red meat prices are high, and they look like they're going to hold, certainly for the first part of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. Very strong. Uh, you know, beef prices are. are very strong. Uh, we've seen, you know, growth in exports to some of those Asian countries like Japan, China, and Indonesia have actually grown quite sharply. Uh, so that's positive. I think the other thing, probably to call out, just on the sheep meat side of it, is, is there's actually been quite a lot of extra product going into the US. 
uh, and that's um, really into that food service channel. So we've seen that bounce back uh, uh, after the sort of market disruptions caused by COVID, but um, some positive signs there. We chatted to the team at Rabobank last week about world fertiliser prices. They are high and they look like they're going to stay there. Yeah, there's no, there's certainly no price relief in sight there at this stage. So, you know, that's certainly concerning, you know, because we've spoken about the uh, commodity prices and the income side of things, Jamie, but uh, certainly some uh, rising costs on the other side uh, and fertiliser is certainly one of them. Other things to keep an eye on, obviously, and farmers always do this, exporters always do this, is the exchange rate. We're sitting, we're sort of in a in a safe sort of zone there. We're right on US 70 cents, or we were this morning when I had a look, but you guys at Rabobank are saying, look out, we could be heading to 73, and maybe in 2022 heading to 74. It just makes things a wee bit tougher. Yeah, look, I think there's definitely some um, some upside pressure on the, on the currency, and... Um, you know, I think you know there's there's talks of uh, interest rate movements here and and uh, just the impacts that you know that could cause to a currency. But it's uh, as you say, it's it's hanging around seventy at the moment, which we're, everyone's pretty comfortable at. But we just we are just flagging some upside pressure there. That's all in the Rabobank Agri Business Monthly. You can read that on the Rabobank website, rabobank.co.nz. Todd Charter, it's always good to yarn on the country. Hey, thanks, Jamie. And probably just the other thing, just a quick call out for the uh, Rabo Good Deeds uh, competition, which we're kicking off next week with uh, with you guys again. So really looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that one as well. We had a great day. We had a fantastic day at Waitaki Boys High School earlier in the year. So make sure you get into that. Go to the Rabobank website to have a crack at that one as well. More about that next week. Good on you. Thanks, Jamie. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with a huge network of progressive farming clients. Rabobank. Always enjoy yarning to Jim Hopkins and getting his take on the state of play. Jim, I want to start with this topic, all right? So when it comes to COVID, I reckon no jab, no job. Oh, look, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I mean, look, seriously, I'm sorry. Climate emergency. So we keep running an airline that pumps carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Um, COVID emergency. Oh, well, look, now, well, if you want to get vaccinated, that's good. And we understand why people are hesitant. And, oh, only 10% of those wolfies who went on the boat with the dreaded Delta variant, only 10% of them are vaccinated. But, I mean, look, we won't force you to get vaccinated, but they are going to compulsorily put fluoride into water supplies, like it or not, and they are apparently going to put folic acid into all bread, not just some bread, like it or not. Where's the consistency? If you can compulsorily dose water supplies with fluoride, why can't you say you have to get vaccinated? Why can't you do that? Look, can we move on? Are you <laughs> sick and tired of being lectured by... How did I describe her last night when I was chatting to Andrew Dickens? Uh, pestering, preachy, patronising, pontificating. <laughs> Any other P words for Greta Thunberg? Puerile, pompous. Yeah, I am, quite frankly. But I'm, I'm not surprised that the media's all over her like a rash. I remember back in the 60s, the Fourth Estate loved um, Che Guevara, Guevara, and they love Greta Thunberg. I don't think the world does. I don't think the readers and listeners and viewers of news bulletins and programs and front pages actually do. I think Greta Thunberg irredeemably um, 
damned herself with that hysterical, petulant OTT outburst at the United Nations. How dare you? How dare you? I try that at council meetings sometimes. And they, they give me a sponge bath and remove me from the room. They'll put a cold flannel on the forehead. I mean, seriously. She got stuck into New Zealand and said, oh, we're admitting too much and quoting The Guardian, which is a very reliable uh, source of, of information, that it's a selective source of information. And supposedly we're one of the worst uh, performers on emissions. Well, um, uh, we're still only producing 0.1 or 2% of the world's total emissions. But in any event, you know, Greta was very worried. It's nice to see... Our propaganda, Jamie, our campaign to actually get people to accept how important farming is and how good it is here is working. Because some of the comments back, why are you attacking, to, to Greta, why are you attacking the most environmentally efficient farmers in the world? Farmers who do this without subsidies. You should apologise to those who are leading the way. Somebody else <laughs> writes to Greta, you're welcome to come and visit our farmers and their world-leading emissions-efficient practices that feed 40 million people. I mean, seriously, <laughs> seriously. At last, we are starting to realise, I think, more and more people are starting to realise just how important farming is and actually how ahead of the game our farmers are relative to us. Well, all right, I need to wrap this. I say to Greta, <laughs> how dare you? Now, just to finish on, because I know you're a climate change denier, head in oh. the sand sort of guy, uh, what did you make of the IPCC, I think I've got oh. too many C's in there, a report, it's a code red for humanity. Look, if oh, we, Jim, geez, if we warm, it won't worry you by the year 2100, but if we warm by 4.4 <laughs> degrees by then, we will literally fry, and I'm worried about this. Well, if we do, then we might, but we will have had a long time to adapt, respond and adjust. And in point of fact, the if is enormous, I mean huge, you know. One thing that you should learn about modelling, based on all the predictions about COVID and even going back to mad cow disease, is that pretty much inevitably all the predictions based on modelling in other areas have proved to be wrong. I am holding, I'll scan this and send it to you. You can put it on your website. I am holding a, a, in front of me a magazine, the screaming headline, Last Chance to Save Humanity! Global Warming, the Science and Solutions, Last Chance to Save Humanity, a Burning Planet. And this front page appeared in the Listener on November the 28th, 2009. My goodness, so 2009 <laughs> was their last chance to save humanity. I thought it was this year. So but the point I'm trying to make is, relax, you know, we were doomed more than a decade ago. And as long as the, um, the Paris Accord and others keep on letting China and India and other big polluters carry on increasing emissions till 2030, it doesn't really matter what we do anyway, Jamie. So just relax, enjoy it, and, you know, stay warm with the power's cut. Jim, I've got three words for you. How dare you? <laughs> See you later. <laughs> the best of the country with Rabobank. The bank with local agribanking experts passionate about the future of rural communities. Rabobank. Great to have Nadia Lim, celebrity chef of My Food Bag fame on the country. She writes a really good column uh, in Stuff. She's done so again last week. And Nadia, you point out that there's a bit of a disconnect between farming and the real world. And you're saying a couple of generations ago, most New Zealanders had some connection to farming or through the land, through a close or extended family. Nowadays, a lot of us are completely detached from the realities of producing food at scale. And therein lies the problem. Yeah, I, th I actually do, really do think that it is part of the problem, Jamie, and that's why I'm so passionate 
um, about education and schools around how food is produced. I mean, it's not part of the curriculum at the moment, but with so many of these problems we're facing, you know, around the environment and climate change and how do we feed the world on scale, so much of it, if everyone actually had a basic knowledge of how food is grown, I really do think that would make a big difference because right now what you see is massive ecological illiteracy out there. I run into it all the time with people... Um, you know, reading, viewing documentaries, reading stuff in the media. And of course, anything that's in the media or in a documentary, you know, people like to make things simple, kind of black and white. But people that have actually grown food and actually are farming know that that is so far from the truth. Nothing is kind of black and white. Everything, it's not as simple as that. If only it was, then I don't think we'd be having a lot of these problems. Well, you talked about economic illiteracy. I'm going to quote some of your literacy here. Ecological, Ecological, sorry. See, I'm going to quote some of your literacy because I think you've hit the nail on the head here. You're talking about some of these environmental reforms and you're saying the main frustration is not the why um, something should be done. Everyone, bar a few stubborn ones, agree on our country's environmental issues. It's the how that they're frustrated about. And then you go on to write... Uh, The crux of it is that farmers feel like they're being uh, made to be entirely responsible for reversing our environmental problems in a comparatively short space of time with what they feel are unworkable solutions. Nadia, package that up, post it off to David Parker. Well, not going to get into too much politics here, Jamie, but I mean, and you and your followers will all um, kind of, you know, know from having talking, talking to the farming community that, that's how a lot of them feel. But I will say I am very supportive um, in general of, you know, doing these things for the environment. But um, there's no one size that fits all, of course. And if we look at our farm, so we're 1,200 acres on the Crown Terrace. Um, you know, we're, we're, our farm is so different to a farm that would be in Northland. So you can't really have, a, have broad brush solutions. So it's actually a lot more complicated than, you know, from both sides than people would make it out to be. But some things that would be great for the environment to work on one farm aren't necessarily going to be great for another farm because there's just so many variables, right? Um, Nadia, I'm glad you've picked up on SNAs, significant natural areas. You, You alluded to this in your column and you talked about why this policy is wrong or some of the policies wrong and and then you knocked on an open door for me when you talked about the QE2 National Trust and what a good vehicle that is that already exists and that should be the pathway. Yeah, well, again, it's something I am supportive of in general, you know, protecting our um, in, uh, our areas of land that do have indigenous flora and fauna, you know, making sure that we don't lose any more of that. But I am a really big believer in incentives and positive reinforcement. Like, I would actually love to see something like, let's find a way where we can encourage people to create more of these areas rather than kind of, I guess, in some ways, some farmers would view it as penalising them for having those areas already on their land where they then can't use them. And the QE2 National Trust, as you know, um, does do that. It's kind of effectively the same thing, protecting those areas. But the difference is, and we have neighbours, we have a lot of neighbours who have done it, like the Jardines, um, Mahu Whenua, which which is one of the biggest uh, private land holdings, which has um, covenanted so much of that farming area and, you know, retired it. But the, the difference is you actually sit down with them and work through what those covenants will be so that you're actually working together rather than just being told, sorry, you're not allowed to use it, you've got to fence it all off and you're not going to be allowed to use it. I'm just a big supporter of 
collaboration, working together, and also incentivizing and you know positive reinforcement. Well, good on you, Nadi. Just before I let you go, and I know you're in the middle of a photo shoot, you've taken time, not a photo shoot of you, mind you, a photo shoot of some of your wonderful food. You've taken time out to chat to us. How about just a couple of healthy eating tips for farmers on the run at this time of the year? Carving, lambing, cropping farmers trying to get stuff into the ground. It is the busiest time of the year, and you've got to remember to fuel your body in a healthy way. You sure do. You don't don't go missing too many meals and things. You know, make sure you you keep up your energy. Um, well, a couple of good meals. Um, I'm a big fan of like the the super nutritious overloaded toasty. So you know, um, just a, a good. Make sure you just have take a little bit of time to have lunch. Piece of toast, but just loaded up with lots of good toppings. Um, nutri- good nutritious toppings on it. Yesterday we did a sauerkraut one, which is really delicious. You got a bottle of. You know, a jar of sauerkraut in the fridge, that, that fermented cabbage stuff. I just loaded that on top of the toast, um, handful of grated cheese, grilled that, yummy. Soups are another amazing one. I think make a big batch of soup, freeze it in individual portions so that all you've got to do is pull that out of the freezer, heat it up, piece of toast. Yeah, they're all five-minute meals, so no excuse really. All right, Nadia Lim, thank you very much for some of your time. I appreciate you busy. If people haven't read your column, they need to uh, go onto the opposition website. Why am I promoting that? And read it because it's a very good read. Well done, Nadia. Great to chat on the country. Thanks so much, Jamie. Cheers. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with 120 years global agribusiness experience. Grow with Rabobank. National leader Judith Collins joins us on the country. This interview was recorded before we've uh, heard what Jacinda Ardern has to say about our roadmap out of COVID. I don't know whether she'll say much, Judith. What would you do if you had the top job? Well, for, for a start, Jamie, um, we've got to get everybody that we can vaccinated. And I know that there's some people are a bit hesitant about this, but it's the only way forward. Otherwise, there is no, no roadmap out of covid because as we can see around the world, this virus uh, mutates and the best thing to do is to get everyone vaccinated and then have boosters every year just like we do with the winter flu and it will become something where even though people can still occasionally get it when they've been vaccinated, it's an incredibly mild form compared to what you get it if you don't, if you're not vaccinated. Let's move on to the polls. Uh, there was one last week and it had ACT way up, you guys languishing somewhat. There was, a, there was a leaked one last night on social media which was more, mm. which was interesting. I think Labour 38, you guys 31, Act 13, the Greens 8. The numbers start to get very interesting. Well they do and even the one last week which is, you know, uh, is a lot of it self-selected people um, pretty clear that we're still moving up and the main thing is, is that the centre-right parties are moving up and Labour and the Greens, uh, the far left, are moving down. So that is a good thing. Uh, the point is, too, we've got two years out from election, but that uh, poll that got leaked to us yesterday uh, was the uh, Labour Party's internal polling. And people will say to me, "When you know, should we be leaking that one out? Yep, because they're happy to leak their polls when it works for them. We're happy also to leak their polls when it works for us. So... Um, they're 38, we were 31, Act 13, Greens 8. There's a lot of movement and I think people are seeing that there is no plan out of COVID from this government. They can't even roll out a, a vaccine. I'm just, you know, look what's happened in the ports of, of Tauranga. They can't even get the port workers vaccinated. They mess around. They make it hard for people to get it done. That's why they're failing. 
Two years out from an election, the $64,000 question is, of course, will you still be the National Party leader? Most people are suggesting you won't be. Well, they're wrong. I've actually had a guts full of this, you know, Jamie. I'm actually sick and tired of people talking about me and who's going to be the leader of the National Party. I'm the leader of the National Party. Why don't they just get their heads around that and get on with the job? Because every time people talk about that sort of crap, all they do is that they give uh, comfort to the Labour Party left. So, you know, don't moan to me because I'm doing my job. Everyone needs to get on and do theirs and I'm actually not putting up with it anymore. I can see why it gets frustrating when you are the leader, but you can't blame people for second-guessing why, for instance, Peter Goodfellow was retained as the president. Very clear why Peter Goodfellow was retained as the president. The the board was very clear that they preferred to have him than any other alternative on that board at that time. Uh, But Peter is not the problem. The problem is is that the National Party uh, went through three leaders in four months last year, that there were issues around selections, that COVID was in place. But actually the problem is, uh, you know, no one should even know who the president of the National Party is because uh, who who even knows who the president of the Labour Party is? That is not the job. And I actually thought it was that sort of rubbish that we had last year that actually was very, very hard for people to overcome. What do you make of the fact that Simon's written a book and he's growing his hair long? Well, I've written a book and I'm growing my hair long. I mean, <laughs> obviously it's following just a National Party thing, is it? <laughs> he's obviously following his leader. Well, I must also say, Judith, it was rather bizarre. It was like a mating ritual, a dance-off almost between you and Simon at the National Party conference. You'd have to wonder how that even got out there, wouldn't you? Um, it, even, it was just we were asked to go on stage and... Uh, do a bit of cook and dancing. I'm personally better with the Samoan fever, but I'm, you know, good to give these things a go. Is Luxon disappointed he wasn't asked up on stage to dance? <laughs> I don't seem to know if there. Um, uh, it was a, it was a halfway through the rugby game, so I'm a big rugby fan. I know Simon says he's not, but um, I was there for the rugby, and I actually really enjoyed it. It was a great night, and people were really enjoying themselves. All right, let, let's just finish on Portrait Gate. Um, I think you found an ally in a Winston that was you didn't expect to have an ally in, namely uh, Peter's over this. The Greens honestly are such wet blankets and hand-wringers when it comes to this sort of thing. They let themselves down. That's my opinion. Yeah, I heard some of the far left saying last night, why were we even talking about it? Well, it's because they think it's important. They thought it was important enough to take down, to order down, a portrait of Winston Churchill that stood there since the 1960s because they had to walk past it. It is in the public part of the building. It is an utter disgrace that Parliament ever agreed to do that. And um, it just shows you how pathetically wet and soft these guys are that they did that. So we've said we'll take him. He'll come up in the public part of the National Party floor and we'll be very happy to welcome him there. We're thinking about having a celebration, might even have a party. Um just whatever it is. I mean, these guys are just morons, aren't they? No, I absolutely agree with you on that. I've got a big uh, portrait of Winston Churchill in my office and it's staying there. It's going nowhere. Hey, Judith Collins, I hope you stay there and go nowhere until we chat again in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Jamie. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with a huge network of progressive farming clients. Rabobank.
Good morning, New Zealand. I'm Jamie Mackay. You've been listening to the best of the country every Saturday morning on News Talk ZB, Gold AM, and Hokanui. The best of the country is brought to you by Rabobank, the world's leading food and agribusiness bank. You know the drill you can grow with the bank that grows farmers. Great to hear from David Seymour, Graham West, Todd Charteris, Jim Hopkins. Always very amusing. Nadia Lim. My goodness, she's an impressive uh, young woman and a very much an influencer and someone agriculture in this country really needs going into bat for it. Yeah, celebrity chef, my food bag co-founder, but more importantly for this show, she is a farmer on the crown on the crown range, should I say, uh, with her husband Carlos. Wrapped it, of course, with Judith Collins. Right, uh, that's me. I'm out of here. I hope you enjoy the test match tonight in Auckland. And I'm really looking forward to the Southland Stags bringing it home against Bay of Plenty tomorrow in the NPC. Right, I'm going to leave you with a wee bit of canned heat and going up the country. Now baby, back and leave it drunk, you know we've got to leave today Just exactly where we're going, I cannot say But we might even leave the USA Cause it's a brand new game and I want to play and follow now on iHeartRadio. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. When the craving hits, Wingstop delivers. Mix things up with our boneless wings in any of our 11 mouth-watering flavors like zesty lemon pepper or sweet and spicy Korean Q. Get it delivered at Wingstop.com. Wingstop, where flavor gets its wings. In this league, Podcast Network presents Prospect One, the Fantasy Prospect Podcast. Prospect One, with your host, Chris Welch. This is the Fantasy Baseball Prospect Podcast, Prospect One. I'm your host, Chris Welsh. You can find me on Twitter, at IsItTheWelsh, and everything that I got going on over at Patreon.com slash ITLArmy. Looking for that top 500 list? Updated Dynasty? First-year player draft ranks? Yup, all over at Patreon.com slash ITLArmy. You can actually get those at the $5 level, but we've got more. If you want to stick in just the prospect world, We've got a Prospect One group me room, and I do these cool once a month events when not doing other live streams, which I call the Break This League event, where we break some cards. It's always centered around baseball, breaking cards, doing some giveaways and raffles on some awesome, awesome prospect and baseball stuff, giving away that Wander helmet. We did a raffle for the Wander helmet. Jaron Duran bat last month, and we got some cool stuff this month, which is happening next Friday, and that's all a part of patreon.com slash ITLarmy. If you would like to come and check me out, support Prospect One, and get the stuff.
There's lots of other things there. If you want to check it out. You guys know. If you listen, unless this is the first time you listen to the show, which is why I do the read like that. Presumably you are already a part of it or you know it, but you can check me out and support if you'd like. Today on the episode, fan tracks Eric Cross is going to be joining me. And we are going to be doing some debating. I'm actually going to do two things. It was going to be just like just uh, prospect debates. We are going to get to them. But we're also going to take a look at his new rank update because Eric had just dropped his updated top 400 just a couple days ago. And I'm going to poke. I'm going to poke the bear a little bit and, uh, you know, see some highs and lows, maybe even just a couple guys that we're fringe at. We're going to talk about the top 400 I've also got a couple deep prospects I'm going to throw your way, some Dominican Summer League players that you might want to take a look at. And then we are going to be debating some prospects, which we curated from listeners and supporters of uh, Prospect One over on our Patreon, where I made a post and you guys created some really cool debates and a few questions as well around some prospects. That is what is in store for the podcast today. So it's, I know you're going to enjoy it. It's an over an hour conversation with me and Eric, lots and lots of names and you know, I'm, you're going to hear me. There's a couple of specific guys that have been moving up the ranks. This is not a conversation for me to be like, Hey, this guy up and down and whatever, but you know, like one player that I've been kind of pushing and I've talked to like four different people about him in the last week, but like, I'm going to mention Kevin Alcantara, uh, who was traded from the Yankees to the Cubs because I got to see him uh, in person the other day, finally. And he's very interesting. Like swagger. Like I, I th- there's a, there's a mentality that baseball players, Lots of different baseball players have. Like when they're super young, they might be, you know, just very nice and just like their eyes are wide open. That's how I'd explain like Maximo Acosta, you know, just like, oh, I'm here and people paying attention to them. Then there's guys that have maybe been around it or jaded. Then there's, uh, you know, just nice guys that maybe a little bit over time baseball doesn't tear them down, but just kind of, you know, like gets them a little bit more introverted. There's all these different personalities, but then there are these guys that just have the swagger from day one. They just walk and breathe that like major league mentality while also producing. Cause there's, believe me, there's plenty of guys that like, will you know, walk like they are the, the biggest guy in, in, in the land, but they're not. And Alcatara is one of those guys. He's a nice dude, but he definitely, he, wa- and this is not a bad thing. He walks it in like pro ball, knows what he's doing, very confident and he's getting results. And this is one of those guys that, um, when I'm looking at like the top performers from the complex level specifically, he's in my top three now and he's up there and it, it, it pushed down Isaiah green, not to say that Alcantara has to be above Isaiah green, but if I'm talking like, you know, performances and future value and stuff like that, what has impressed me and has made an impact, Kevin Alcantara has uh, pushed up there. you know, Preciado is number one in my eyes. Doesn't mean he's the number one prospect out here, if, if you want to look at it like that, but he has been the most eye-opening. Uh, Edbert is there, and then Alcantara is there. And, but there's room to grow. You know, Isaiah Green is right on the on the heels, and there are other prospects that are actually making their debut. I was over at the Angels and Reds just the other day. I didn't get to stay for long, but the trio of Reds prospects made their debut. Uh, Matthew Nelson, who led uh led college baseball in homers out of Flores, Florida State. He made his debut. Jay Allen, who I'm pretty high on, made his debut and hit a homer in that one, which is really nice. Reese Hines was um he was rehabbing. And then, you know, going over the Angels side, the same Angels guys are happening. But you're getting more of the draft prospects. Uh, Benny Montgomery and Colson Montgomery both out here now and playing. Uh, the White Sox specifically, one I want to go take a look at is 
Colson and West Coth are both playing here locally and they're out in games and they're doing pretty well. And that's a good one. But Benny Montgomery is a specific one that I am a hoping it's actually today. It's not looking like it's going to happen, but it's possible, but I might be able to get a, a look at Benny Montgomery, but not that you guys care about all this, but I got to do it on the road because the Diamondbacks are just not letting people in right now. And there's a few clubs that have um, got some strict, stricter rules that are happening. So you got to catch them on the road. And Benny Montgomery is finding some early success, very jovial guy. And where I didn't want to go in, kind of wanting to, kind of wanting to go a little bit higher on Benny Montgomery, but it'll be a little bit more confirmed once I get to, uh, once I get to see him in person. So the complex level has been good, trying to get to as many guys as possible. Um, and in this episode, you know, you're going to hear me, you know, Owen Casey, Kevin Alcantara. There's some of these guys that are moving up and you would see it on my list as well as some of the players that have moved down. I mean, frankly, not that I've cooled, but I think I've centered myself around Maximo. You know, it was, I think Maximo has, there's definite potential in there for power. Uh, I should talk to him about it. Cause there was this one game he had just missed his home. He absolutely crushed it. I think I tweeted about it. You can hear the real raw power that's in there. But some of these international guys have really struggled, which I also think is quite a testament to players like Preciado, Alcantara, Edbert, uh, Everson, Ortega, who's the giant shortstop out here. Those are the stars, you know, and I, I still have not got to see Ortega um, in person. And I think once I do, he could jump up that list. But it also paints a picture to players that are finding it harder out here because the pitching is garbage. And like Maximo is doing okay. 246 batting average, not great. Seven stolen bases is good. He finally hit his first homer, but he's got a sub 300 OBP. That's not great. And he has moved down my list. So this isn't a case of, and I know some people could think this, I wouldn't really blame you, but like, you know, I get around these guys and I see them and I start to like imprint it in my head and maybe I hold them longer. I think some people would say that on George Valera, but I say I'm, I'm in a good spot on George Valera. Like, Yes, his I had him higher when his value was lower, but you guys maintain that. He doesn't have a great average this year, 246, but he has an over 400 OBP, George Valera, 13 homers and 8 stolen bases, and this is all in under 200 at-bats this year. So I still feel good about my George Valera, regardless of the me being too close to it. I say all this that I dropped Maximo, and I dropped him... A decent amount, nothing crazy, but I dropped him a decent amount. He's not outside my top 100 yet. But another guy is Eric Pena, who's really struggling. And remember, I had reported right before all the minor leagues started that there's some bad stuff. Not bad, I shouldn't say it like that. They just, I'd gotten a few trusted people tell me like they were surprised at how unimpressive he was. And I was a little surprised with how much he had been here because he was here during Instructs in 2019 and had done the alt camp that he still played complex ball. And I kind of thought they would push him, but he is struggling. He's under 200 batting average, four stolen bases, two homers. He does have a hundred plus OBP, but that's another one of those, you know, higher national guys that is moving down. And Pena is, he's risking coming outside the top 100 for me. And I know some other people probably already moved him out as they would uh, Puasin, you know, who, has struggled in all of his own right, hitting 216, three homers, three stolen bases on the year. Some of those international guys have really struggled. But, I, you know, I'd also point that is a really weird time that they were injected into. 
um, that, you know, it's called it's the COVID class, as I call it, or the draft class. The COVID class also goes to some of the international guys. And these are those guys, you know, the guys that are struggling, by the way, happen, not all of them. It's not one for one. Edbert is sure hell not struggling. But Maximo, Pena, um, Luis Rodriguez, to some degree, Luis Rodriguez is showing just such massive power, by the way. He's hit his seventh homer in complex ball in 110 at-bats, but he's hitting 218. There's a lot of average problems picking up breaking pitches, and I don't love it because the pitching is so bad. You want it to be better, but there is some movement that's going on there. So, you know, we're going to talk about some of those guys. I think there's plenty to go on about that I could go on about. Um, of some of the more recent performances, but we will focus more on that next week because we've got a whole bunch here as Eric and I are going to be debating prospects. So if you guys want to make sure that you're involved in the uh, break stream, even if you just want to watch the stream, you can do that as well. Uh, Patreon.com slash ITL Army. You can get the list next week. I should have um, a mid-month update for August, and that'll probably be the last mid-month one because in September, minor leagues will cool off. There still is... um, a uh, uh, complex level and the fall league will start up. So you're going to get tons of stuff from me. But as far as like physical updates, I will do one mid month one. That's the last mid month. And then it'll still be once a month. So make sure you're on the Patreon. If you want to check that out as I'm continuously adding new little features here, left and right. And the first year player stuff is growing in. I can hopefully report back next week on more of the rookies that are coming out here. I'm crossing my fingers. I've seen that Jordan Lawler is out here, but he hasn't played or done anything. And I don't know if he will. Uh, Jack Leiter is out here as well. I just don't know if he'll do anything. I know, or I, I'm sorry. I know Jack Leiter won't. They've already said that. But Lawler, is he going to get into any games? He's out here with the Diamondbacks, as I'm told. So we'll monitor it. But Benny, Colson, Koth, some really important first-year player guys are here. And hopefully I can help um, get some eyes on some of them. So make sure that you are dialed in. All right, friends, let's get to it. Eric Cross, we're talking his top 400 And we're talking about some player debates right after this. Right here in Greater Atlanta. Here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things. With a program that complements your regular recycling. Because plastics can be so much more. Give the trash the second chance it was hoping for. Greater Atlanta's hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program, happening in your neighborhood today. At Tillamook, our cheesemakers don't just make cheese. They speak cheese. Our ice cream scientists, they live to brainstorm new flavors. I dub the malted cookie almond fudge. Even our customer service team, there's nothing they'd rather talk about than whatever you'd like to talk about. Tillamook, this is Jazz speaking. That's because at Tillamook, it's not so much a job as it is a way of life. This is Tillamook. Do right by every bite. Find out more at Tillamook.com. Say, I like you. I like you so much, I'm going to make you my partner. All you have to do is find the gold, and I'll share it with you 50-50. Prospect 1. There's that man. It is Eric Cross. E-C in the house. Eric Cross, 04 on the Twitter handle. You can catch him over on the Toolshed pod, the five tool pod over at Fantrax, all the great stuff, prospect list, fantasy stuff. My dude, Eric, what's up, buddy? Chris, how's it going, man? Long, Long time, time no talk, right? I was, I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> Was it like, what, a week ago we just had, yeah. were on a podcast last? It's like classic dad stuff. We're like, hey, long time no talk there, buddy. Yeah. So it's just all the 
classic old stuff. What uh, what's happened? Uh, we we're actually going to talk about one of the things that's happened since Eric is actually prepping for a little bit of time off. So maybe yep. Do, now let me ask you this: Do you have another pod coming up, or am I getting you as like the last podcast before your vacation? Uh, one more. We're recording Tool Shed on Friday night. A little where we usually record Sunday night, but record that. We'll still drop it on on our usual Monday slot, but. Yeah, record that, and then I'm um, driving down to Philadelphia, which is an eight-hour drive for me from Maine on Saturday morning. So, yeah, that's the last last thing I'm doing fantasy-wise for probably a good week or so. Well, that's good. Well, we can catch up. And actually, one thing that you just did was you released your brand-new update. And what we're going to do, as I mentioned before, is we are going to – this is a, is a like a locked-in episode of a theme where it's going to be prospect debates. And I opened it up to everybody, and uh, Eric knows who we've got on docket. We're going to be kind of debating some of these guys, talking about their value, and you know, open that up to the audience. But what you just did in anticipation of you heading out was you just released your updated top 400. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's, uh, you know, I, I was telling you off air, one of the funny things that it happens to all of us and people will see trends. And I actually think, you know, I've said this for a long time, having, you know, multiple tools in your tool belt as a fantasy, uh, you know, fantasy consumer is not a bad thing. You know, you can obviously, you know, Eric wants everybody to follow him and I want people to just follow me. But at the same time, there are great people to, you know, balance off of each other. And what you'll see is you will see trends because I asked you before, I'm like, yeah, you know, some of the guys in your list and you're like, all right, let me figure out. And I was like, funny enough, it's probably both of us, you know, both of us have like put out the same type of guys, like the same guys that make movement you'll see on James and you'll see us and you'll see prospects live. Like there's a handful of guys that will continue to make some of those big moves so we can have an idea. But when you see said players on multiple lists move, that can really tell you where more consensus is going around the industry. So top 400, you just did your rank update. What were some of the highlights? What were some of the, you know, the things that stood out to you when you were reconstructing and moving some players around, some of the players that you want to highlight? Yeah, no, th- this was a really interesting update because I finally let go of cer- certain players that I was kind of like holding still pretty highly um, just because, you know, what they've done in the past or the skills that they might have. But Give me one. Like, Give me one. Like who? Matt Manning. I know he he just graduated today, but he was yeah, still he, elig- he was still eligible when I put this list out a couple of days ago. Like, I had been holding on to Matt Manning. I, I had dropped him in previous updates a little bit. You kind of like what to. was like what was like the numerical drop? Like what was his trajectory down? What has it been? So uh, at peak, so coming into the season, he was in the twenties as one of my top five pitching prospects. He's up there with Mackenzie Gore, who keeps sliding uh-huh. as well, um, and Nate Pearson, another one who keeps sliding. Gotta love pitching prospects, right? Yeah, um, yeah, it's not looking then, so good. That top end is not feeling so good of uh, the preseason right. preseason list. I know they, they've all kind of faltered. Yeah, and so he he dropped from like twenties to like the fifties range, but I was like kind of holding them solid in the fifties. But then I finally I bumped him down to uh, let's see the last update was nine I think ninety some uh, eighty nine. Okay, and, behind, and, and I don't even think that's in my top twenty pitching prospects anymore. Like I have him behind. Like I moved like Ryan Pepio ahead of him. Yeah. I moved Clark, Clark Schmidt back up ahead of him, Cole Wynn, uh, guys like that. So, are you um, a Cole Wynn in your top 100? I do. He's uh, 82 now. He yeah, was that's uh, up, yeah. up uh, he was 125 uh, about a month and a half ago, my last update. So, okay. That's, yeah, that's yeah. aggressive. Yeah. Um, let me ask you on, on Matt Manning, is there anything inside of, and, and this can, I'm not trying to like push a narrative because it can go either way, but is there anything inside of you when you see some of the development of the other guys where Scooble struggled, Mize struggled, 
and then they really kind of found themselves. Uh, you know, they're not elite. I don't think either one is performing at the level that their prospect hype put. But at the same yep. time, if you think about production as a whole, like it's not the biggest disappointment in the world. And I have to pull up their numbers on where they are. I'm actually kind of curious, like, you know, like a Scooble had like this really, really good stretch going on. And then he, you know, he's just, he's shown inconsistencies. Casey Mize so far this season, uh, really low. God, I didn't realize how low of a K per nine it was. Seven K per nine, but he's yeah, got, he's, he's been like solid, but not like anything. Spectacular. Yeah. And these are salt. Like it's a three six ERA, which looks pretty good, but it's almost a full pop up on the XFIP and the Sierra is not favorable, I suppose. So there's a lot of that. Uh, he's overperformed what his production should be. It's low K's, but it's really low walks. Good ERA six wins, but my point stands and you can use it either way. Do you think there's anything of a story to be told about a, the maturation that the pitching prospects have taken with the tigers, maybe as a whole. And that, you know, you said you dumped down on Matt Manning, but you know, do you think these guys just need more, you know, they need more time. They need more time to bake. If you will, do you think like a huge fall off of a guy like Matt Manning is worth it? Having some perspective of like the, especially specifically his organization with some of the other top pitching prospects. No, yeah, for for sure, and and even though he has dropped a good amount, like like well, good sixty sixty five spots or so from the preseason, you know, like I said, he's still top one hundred, or he was. Obviously, I'll take him off next update, but still top one hundred. So I, I I was talking about him earlier tonight, actually, uh, with Chris Clegg, and I was like, you know what, he kind of reminds me. I, I see a lot of like Chris Paddock. Obviously, there's different arsenals, but like yeah. you, when you can look at it, like you know decent but you know kind of so so fastballs that come and go effectively you know a one good secondary obviously with him with manning it's the curveball with paddock it's the changeup, and then that third pitch is kind of like what's being questioned like you know it might be there for a start but not there for the next three after that so and that's what kind of what uh, manning's changeup currently is a you know below average offering so uh, I, I can see him still being a you know a productive major leaguer like you know, a solid number three type of guy. Um, and I do think he's going to miss more bats. Like his K rate is, I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but last time I saw it, it was like 14%. Obviously that's going to tick up. I don't think he's going to be a low K rate guy, but yeah. uh, it, it, is, it is kind of concerning to me. Like Detroit doesn't have like the greatest track record over the last handful of years. Like a lot of their other pitching prospects have kind of faltered out as well. So okay, take I'm, a guess at Manning's K per nine right now. K per nine, I'll yeah, say six and a half. <laughs> it's 4.85. Oh, oh, I mean, that's like, that's oh. an insane number. Um, he has a, it's funny, we were doing this on the ITL pod. Um, specifically, uh, here's a perspective for you. Corbin Burns, uh, when you take K percentage and walk percentage, and you essentially, you know, minus, you know, K to walk percentage, you get a number. So let's say Corbin Burns specifically had like a 34% K uh, percentage and then like a 3 or 4% walk. He has the highest in baseball, Corbin Burns does, highest K to walk percentage with 100 or more innings at 30.3, let's call it. He's the only yeah. guy in the 30s. <laughs> Matt Manning. When you go take a look at Matt Manning, 11.9 K percentage, a 6.7 walk percentage for a whopping 5.2% wow. K to walk percentage, which is like, that's, that's not that much higher than uh Corbin Burns walk percentage. Like that's, know, a, right? that's a crazy, crazy number. I guess I just like, I look at Matt Manning 
And he was always given the upside tack of all the players. Like, you know, if if Mize failed, I don't think a lot of people are like, oh, big shock. Scooble, I think, is in this medium territory right now. But Manning is always the guy that got the upside play. Yep. So why go all out now? I mean, the numbers look atrocious. Uh, we, I think we've all warned about pitching prospects, but why go all out now? And I think some of it has to do with the burn factor of, oh, this was a top, you know, this is a top five guy. He's not producing. So now he's trash. And for better or for worse, Nate Pearson gets the same thing, which mm-hmm. I think some of it might be deserved because uh, I never had him as like a really as like a top five guy. But, you know, we, we're so quick to turn. And I just I, I look at Matt Manning and I go of all those guys of those three guys, he's the one that was given the upside tag. So I find it interesting. But you didn't like I suppose you didn't go outside the top 100, but over performers or high performers this year took precedent over Matt Manning, specifically Cole Wynn. You know, Cole Wynn yeah. is a guy that I don't think and in, in I've seen multiple of his starts in person you know, in, on backfields and stuff, I'm not sure he's ever going to be an elite K type of guy. And I'm not sure he's better than uh, a number three or four starter, even though he's having a fantastic season, but he's giving results where like Matt Manning is not. And, but Matt Manning is failing at the major league level where Cole Wynn has had, you know, some injury stuff. And you know, this is the big put together year. I, I just, I, I find it an interesting, if it was, as we're debating here, Matt Manning versus Cole Wynn, like I would actually still go on the Matt Manning side. Cause he's in the majors the pedigree has been higher and I'm not sure this is a Forrest Whitley situation with Matt Manning. I think this is a major league baseball adjustment situation Agreed, yeah. uh, that he's dealing with. Yep. No, I totally would agree with that. Yeah. Who were a couple you were saying, cause I kind of cut you off, but this was a good conversation. Uh, you said there were a couple other guys you were just kind of like, you were done holding on to who were there a few others that uh, jumped out to you. Uh, yeah, maybe not done, but I, I moved down. I, I keep moving Mackenzie Gore down. I just, it's, it's mm-hmm. so hard to rank him right now. Like, obviously he was another one. Like he was the number one dude for a couple of years, but yeah. we, he hasn't pitched in forever now. It's like, it's almost like they've kind of put him in area 51. You don't hear anything about Gore anymore. Um, it was a lot of pitching, pro- pitching prospects that kind of went down, but th- there was a lot of, a lot of guys on the rise too. Like I said, Ryan Pepio, I bumped up a good amount. We already talked about Cole Wynn. Yuri Perez, who we'll talk about, you know, obviously more later. Yeah. You know, two other huge risers for me uh, offensively, Kyber Ruiz, who I was never a big Ruiz guy. Like, I, I acknowledge, like, all right, the, the hit tool is good. The, the approach is great. You know, he walks a decent amount and doesn't strike out barely at all. I, I questioned, like, how much power he was going to have. I was like, all right, is he a, you know, 10 to 12 homer guy or is he going to be a 20, <clears throat> excuse me, 20 homer guy? And, do you remember um, too to throw it into you? Do you remember we did your big draft in 2019? I think it was. It was yeah. like the uh, I, I don't yeah I think it was 2019. I, oh I could be God. wrong, but it was like I don't remember what you called it, like the 480 or something like that. And you remember I got Kyber Ruiz. I took Ruiz because he was falling and falling and falling, and I took him at like 240, and it kind of became this big thing. Like oh my God, Kyber Ruiz is there because I I agree with you. The thing that's always been so beneficial about him is he's had like a high sense of um, of the zone and he's always made yep. really good contact. He spent his first three years in the minor leagues hitting over 300. And then like every develop, I mean, like it's like clockwork sometimes, especially with higher valued prospects. What is the clockwork here? They, they hit for a high average. They aren't hitting a bunch of homers and then they turn to start hitting for more power and they lose their batting average. And that is exactly what he did. And what is special about him is he doesn't strike out. He struck, 
in 2017, he struck out 53 times in 101 games. That's the most he's ever struck out in a season. Last year, uh, I mean, it was, you know, uh, 2019, I should say, 22 strikeouts in 314 at-bats. He walked more than he struck out. He was still struggling a little bit from the batting average, but then he found it again. He found the hit tool. He found the power. I agree with you on that one. I th- I'm not sure how crazy I, I didn't really bump him that, that much, but it might be a, pre- I don't know like where you had him before. Like if, if, if somebody had him post 200, I could see why he got to give him a really big boost, but it's deserved. And he was a big piece. Yeah. yeah he went from 185 to 103. So 82, 82 spot okay. jump there. Uh, and another one here that uh, jumped up a ton from my Red Sox, Blaze Jordan. Uh, he's obviously he's been having a great year. He was kind of like similar profile to like a Jordan Walker, but just scaled back a little bit. Like I don't think he's got quite as much upside as Jordan Walker, but they both kind of had the same strengths and weaknesses. You know, when they got drafted, like all right, the powers there obviously with both, but you know, hit you know contact skills, approach, etc was the question marks and he's obviously a small sample size and low minors, but he has shown much better hit tool than I thought he would. He's striking out. Uh, I think it was around 20%, which is, I thought he'd be like a 30 plus percent K rate guy. So, um, you know, I'm still kind of hesitant just because of how many questions I, and many of us had about that hit tool. So I'm not bumping up too high, but I did bump him up to 136. I, I can't put him in like, Jordan Walker territory. Yeah, I'm not putting him top 50 quite yet, but yeah, definitely been impressed with, with what I've seen from Jordan. And if he does make it up to the majors, like that right-handed power at Fenway is just gold. Like this is a 35 homer bat in the making if he can make enough contact to, you know, fully get into that power. So definitely like what I'm seeing so far from him. What, uh, where have you found any struggles? You know, I'm always struggling. I think people know that from me and I don't try to hide like my, massive amount of confidence i know everything like i'm always struggling because i think the prospect development side of all this is it's you know it's not linear it's just uh right. or maybe that's the way i want to say it it's it's cyclical it's just it, there's a lot of steps that have to go there's ups and downs and you know there's huge misses that we have uh there's 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 misses in the regard to like you know nobody was a bigger nick prado person in 2018 or 17 than i was i was the only person shouting from the rooftops but then as you go through the developmental process, some you just start to wane and then you fall into lack of success and then you move away and then they refine themselves. So there's always a struggle. And, you know, mine tends to be with being a little bit more stubborn about not wanting to give up on talent and also not wanting to go all in on a singular year. Yep. So it doesn't have to have been somebody that you actually moved. I'm actually kind of more asking the question, are there a couple guys on your list that, you just you couldn't pull the trigger one way or the other that you're really struggling with. Maybe you want to go high or you want to go low that they didn't get the push on this latest update. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but I, yeah, I, I have the same struggles that you do. You know, w- with me, it's more so, you know, seeing these, you know, these players that make improvements like, like a Blaze Jordan, then trying to figure out, all right, how much do I want to buy into that? Right. Like you don't want to go too far in because it's, you know, it's still a small sample size, and this might just be it could just be a hot streak. It could be a you know, a you know, four week bender that he's on right now, and he could go back into hole and have a 35% K rate. And then you like kind of look silly, like I just bumped him, bumped him up 150 spots. I look kind of silly. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's difficult because like you mentioned prospect development isn't linear, and I don't think 
the way we all evaluate is is linear. Oh and, God, no! We, it's we, so, we, yeah, the way certain tools we value more, and just the way the way we think about certain prospects, like you know, my way is different from your way, different from James Anderson's way. And people listen enough, they can actually start to like, like right. the, the hardcore listeners, especially that consume like both of our products and other products, they'll start to kind of know, they'll know, they'll, they'll like be able to preemptively know like, oh, this is something that Welsh isn't going to like, or this is something that Eric will like, like they're going to kind of know where things are and they'll start to be able to be predictive and, you know, like I will, I'm a sucker for insane power and I will sometimes blind myself to hire K guys. You know, that's just the thing. James is like, if you show any semblance of speed, you're going to get the big boost. If you show speed and if you're productive in this year, uh, maybe track record or not, you're going to get the big boost. So yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like we are not linear and and people will start to kind of pick up on that stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why I've always urged everybody to, everybody listening that follows my work to check out multiple Sources, like I said, go check out your stuff, Prospects Live, Rotowire, etc., because you can get many different opinions. And yeah, sometimes we overlap and have similar opinions. Obviously, sure. it's it's hard not to with how many prospects there are. That's but, not a bad yeah. thing. That's a good yeah. thing, actually. It's a good yeah, thing. Get, it's, it, people can find consensus when we get like exactly that. and get multiple points of view, and then all right, then take that, throw it together, and then make your own you know personal opinion on on that player or whatever it may be. So yeah. So here, I'll, I'm going to quiz you. I'm going to quiz you. I pulled up your list. I'm gonna, uh, I hadn't done this before the show because I don't want to taint myself with some of it. Not that I wouldn't read it, but it's specifically in this episode because I also don't want to know exactly where the debates are going to go with you. But I got a couple guys. So my question was, you know, are there any guys that you've had difficulty pulling the trigger up or down with? Because I, you know, I totally have it. I got... You know, I got guys that I want to go absolutely bonkers about. Anthony Volpe would be one of those players, but I'm hesitant. Yeah. I'm hesitant to be like how you and James are with it. While at the same time, you look at what he's doing and you're like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like this guy is just absolutely insane. But I've got a couple that I notice. I've actually got one guy on your list that I'm curious at your level of wanting to let go. And Another guy that I'm actually surprised isn't higher on your list, and I'm curious to get your take on, so maybe this will be the answer. The first one is number 45 on your list, Christian Robinson. Now, hands up. You guys know my feelings about Christian, uh, regardless of whatever legal stuff is going on. He's a massive talent. He's been on the show. I love him. He loves to talk. He was one of the more insightful players, and he's a very good person. And he's a great ball player, too. Like He's always singled out. But... He has now lost two years of development. And we learned, you know, because it was a mystery last year. What the hell? Where the, why the hell was he not at, at camp? Well, it's because right. of legal issues. So he lost so much of last year. He also was going through the weight stuff that I had reported about. And he's now lost this year because he cannot come over to the U.S. The last I, I actually talked to Zion Bannister, who's a uh, Bahamas player for the Rangers. And I we were talking about the Bahamas players and jazz. And we got on Christian and he said, yeah. He's like, last I talked to Christian, he's in the DR because it's also been reported that he was in the uh, Bahamas, but he's practicing. I think he's at the Diamondbacks facility in the Dominican Republic. He's stuck there. It doesn't take away the massive talent, but he's lost two years of development. There's some stuff that's there, legal and just personal things that you have to consider. I hated to do it. I hated to do it because I think from a talent perspective, he's very high. I dropped him down to 100. He is at 100 to me. You have not. You still have him top in the at, at top fifty. So, I am projecting on you, Eric, that I feel like this is a guy 
that literally answers a question that I was asking to you that I feel like I feel like I'm looking at that and you're struggling with it because you haven't dropped him down where you have been reactive to good performances this year that have moved up yet you haven't moved him. So did I, am I spot on on maybe your struggle with Christian Robinson? You are. That, that's definitely a good name. I, I didn't think of him and I, I think you can throw Mackenzie Gore into that as well. <laughs> We're all struggling with him. for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, and Forrest Whitley too. He's another one. Just guys that aren't doing anything right now. And it, with Robinson, I've honestly wanted to drop down lower than I have. It just, I just look at, I, I just keep having this vision of like, all right, he'll come back next year and show that immense, you know, we, a lot of us had him top 10. I know I had him top 10 at one point. I think I had, Never him, had him top 10, but I definitely had him top 20. You're damn yeah, right. I, I think I peaked at like eight or nine with him at, at one point back in like 2018 or whatever it was. But I just, I just see him coming back and putting up, you know, showing that power speed blend, and obviously, it, there's obviously some concerns there. Like you mentioned, the the weight. There was some obviously some uh, approach concerns, some chase concerns that he was dealing with back in was it 2019 or whatever. But yeah. so he's definitely a flawed prospect. But just this is a top, you know, 20 potential talent again. And I just can't bring myself to drop. Out. I'll probably continue. Like I think every update, I drop him like five spots. <laughs> yeah, but, not so that I was like, doing with Gore, by the way. Like every update, like. Yeah, it's, a down slow, a little bit. it's a slow trickle. I just, the immense talent that he has, and, and you dropping him to 100 is totally fair. I totally could see that. Um, I just can't bring myself to do it quite yet. But yeah. then again, you know, obviously he's not going to be playing this year. It's, you know, it's already mid-August at this point. So no, this year's, done. yeah, this year's done. But, it, but next year, I think next year will be the, all right, this will be all right. You're, you're either back and you're back in my top 25, or if this, Whatever it is is still continuing. He's not playing for whatever reason. That I think next year is be, will be my breaking point. We're like, all right, I got to drop you down. Yeah, I mean, and Robinson's twenty. He's still twenty years old, and which is crazy. Know, I feel like he's been around forever. I swear to God, like forever. <laughs> so you could say like, oh my God, he's missed two years, and he's not at Double A. Like he could miss this year, go play at High A next year, move up to Double A, then play all of 2023 in Triple A, and then come up with the majors, and he'd still be twenty three years old. You know, right. I mean, like Corey Ray is 26 and the guy has like 50 <laughs> major league at bats. So I'm not, I don't want him to be Corey Ray. So I agree with you, but you also have to acknowledge what some of our prospect lists are sometimes is they're not, they don't need to be Eric Long and Hagen uh, or our MLB pipelines list where we break down every single tool and we tell you about the talent. We also need to acknowledge that there is a value perspective in fantasy and there's worth. I yep. sometimes get stuck a little bit into the talent but there has to be an acknowledgement of value. And I think I think it's feasible that someone could drop Christian Robinson out of the top 200 because of legal issues, two years yeah. of lack of development, everything like that. So I felt like I was still doing a favor of keeping him right inside the top 100 because I agree with you, the talent is immense. So let me throw this one at you because this is the inverse of a player that is just you know, been phenomenal this year. And I have always had him high. He's, he's fluctuated a little bit. He's always been in my top 100 since day one. I've always been in on the power, but this is a player you have lower than Christian Robinson. Yet he was the hottest prospect in the month of July. And that's a Rolvis Martinez. The Rolvis Martinez is 22 homers and he is a teenager. He is 19 years old. 22 homers, four stolen bases. To be fair, he's only hitting 269, which is not the greatest. He's also moved up to high A, and he struggled. He's only played eight games, but he struggled at high A, but he has moved two levels. was the hottest prospect in baseball. And I look at a Rolvis in the same question to say, 
I, it's interesting that you did not move him up. You know, you, you didn't follow any of the trends or anything like that. Anthony Volpe jumped over him yet. You know, Orovis is showing 35 plus Homer power as a teenager. And I am again, I, I ask you, have I pinpointed a person that you were struggling if you want to go all in on, or do you feel convicted regardless of how good he's been? Now this is where he belongs. And, and mind you, again, you have him lower than Christian Robinson. Right. I think the reason why I have him lower, and I know people will wane on how much speed Christian Robinson can will ultimately bring to the table down the road. The fact that he does have a potential for, you know, at least 15 steals or so where I, I don't see yeah, he has, you know, Robles has four this year, 300 and 326 play appearances. I just don't see him being anything more than, you know, a guy that brings a handful of steals every year. And yeah, the power is definitely there. I, I definitely am there on the power. He's got a near 300 ISO this year, or at least on in a low A he did. Um, actually, it's, it's still right around. He's a 303 ISO. Uh, he's got three bombs here. But, you know, I, I wonder if he's just going to be like a 260 or so hitter with 25 home runs. And, you know, obviously that's that's definitely good value, but I I just can't put him above Christian Robinson quite yet. Though it could change. Obviously, if Robinson's not playing, like I said, next year this could be the year I make the switch on these two. But the fact that Robinson is just a more complete offensive profile, but potentially uh, for fantasy purposes, the fact that he could bring that 50, you know fifteen to twenty more steals, while I think providing potentially very similar you know, average and uh, power down the road. I think that that extra speed, even though he's not playing right now and Aurelvis is thriving, that's what still has me leaning towards Robinson. But that gap is closing. Like I said, I keep sliding K-Rob down a little bit. Aurelvis has been, I think, bumping up a couple of spots every time with him, every update. So this could change soon, but that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, Rovis, uh, if you want a perspective of like full season, in 119 career minor league games, he has 29 homers with six stolen bases, um, a 271 batting average, a 353 OBP, a 559 slugging, and a 912 OPS. Those are his career minor league numbers. So, I mean, he is pacing to theoretically be close to a 35-10 guy. And, you know, and Robinson always struggled. You know, I, I always find it interesting talking with him that like, he was really irked when people would say like, he's going to only be a first baseman. And then he lost all this weight and it did not work out. And it was a really bad thing. And then he gained it all back in muscle. And it's like, this is a 240 pound guy that I just don't believe he's going to steal. You know, Julio Rodriguez wants to steal bases, but you know, him going 10 or 15, I think is a max. And I think that's a max on Christian Robinson. So, you know, if a Rolvis is like, a 35 and eight guy and Robinson is like, uh, I mean, if Robinson's not even out there, I, mean, it's, it's, I, I get, I actually think they have similar ish profiles. It's just a role. This is yeah. younger doing it without the legal troubles and has shown this just incredible ability to go on a hot streak. I mean, 19 homers in 71 low a games as a teenager is something else, something to consider in the ever battling rank updates. You guys can check it out over on fan tracks, HQ, you can check out uh, Eric's brand new update. And what have you been doing? You've been doing it like once a month or so. Yeah, pretty. I try doing it once a month just because, especially this year. I saw obviously coming off, you know, it's, even in my my uh, dynasty rankings overall too. Like the fact that we were coming off a sixty game MLB season, no minor league season. I just no. like I just said I feel like this year is going to be a year where we're going to see a lot more trends and a lot more breakouts and drop offs than than usual. So I was like, I I, th- I felt it was more important to 
get out more consistent updates. And I thought, I was like, all right, well, let me try every month, see how that goes for this year. Maybe I do every two months next year. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. But yeah, def- I was definitely, I wanted to get out more updates this year than my usual, like two a year, just because I knew there would be so many more movements. I, I thought it was more valuable to people in Dynasty Leagues because if my, last, if my last update is like April and it's, you know, mid July, like, all right, obviously values have changed a ton. So how, how helpful is my April list, you know? So yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely more. I thought was. I mean, you know, year. I feel the same. I've been one a month for four years, you know, and I do yep. two a month in this time of the season. Uh, speaking of which, I'm going to throw this out, and then we're going to get to some prospect debates. And I know everybody's ready, and we got a bunch of submissions. But as I'm asking you, and I'm saying, hey, who are some guys that move through? I'm going to let everybody know preemptively of a couple guys that I'm adding to my top 500 that are added. Uh, they will be. I'll have an update early next week, the mid one. And you'll see these guys updated. And Eric, if you've paid attention to them at all, or you got any thoughts or anything, you can throw this out. But two guys who I have added just outside the top 500, I think if you base performance stuff, you're, you could, you know, just if you want to go by this year, you could just throw them up uh, a lot higher. But there are a couple Dominican Summer League guys. And the first guy that jumped up to me, it, it's small sample size stuff, especially if you go look at leaderboards. But currently, at least, he has the highest OPS of any teenager in all of baseball, of course, under a small sample size of Dominican Summer League. Francisco Garcia is his name, if you guys are wondering. He is with the Colorado Rockies playing in the Dominican Summer League. He's a six foot 190 third baseman is where they're listing him out. He has four homers, four stolen bases in 19 games, a sub 30K percentage, which is nice, and an almost 10% walk rate, which is pretty nice in the Dominican Summer League. Now, those numbers can get massively inflated, massively inflated. But what it does is it, it ends up showing you a degree of where this player can pop off from. And it is the third highest OPS of any player in the minor leagues. And it is the highest of any teenager the guys that are right next to him are owen casey who i love and um edgar guero Guero, who's with the angels and they're in the 1000s there's only roughly 29 players regardless of qualification that have a thousand ops and francisco garcia who's you know got a good build six foot 190 playing third base showing big power iso in the 340 range this is a guy that i have added to my list and I'm just getting out there is uh, is is one of my guys early on. Eric, have you have you caught into any of the Dominican Summer League guys? You know anything about uh, Francisco Garcia? A little bit. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I haven't really dug into Garcia yet, but I've noticed. You know, I look at the leaderboards and whatnot. So you know, but I, I know I I have these guys. I, I have a you know my rankings are I go 400 deep in my rankings I post. Like my spreadsheet, I just have a ton more after. Yeah, that. I know you and I do. I've told people like I'm like I, oh I hope God. you know I have over a thousand guys on my personal sheet that I move around. I because you know like when Jose Miranda popped up this year, I've had Miranda on since he was a minor leaguer, but he just had not cracked because I didn't. Right. I wasn't ever overtly impressed, so I totally know what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's like you don't want to forget anybody, right? So like somebody catches your eye for whatever reason. Like all right, let me throw him on the on the list here, just to just get him on the spreadsheet, but. Yeah, I, you know, a lot of these guys, the the DSL guys, I whenever I see them, you know, excelling, even if it's just been you know twenty one games like it, like it has here with uh with Garcia, at least throw them on there because you never know this could be the start of something. Yep. Or this could just be like I said, it could just be a hot start, and you know they they fizzle out. You know, we see these guys all the time, right? There's always these hot starts in the DSL and rookie ball. So, um, yeah, I said I'm not gonna lie, I haven't dug into no, them good. too much, but yeah, it's it's definitely. He's definitely one that I have on my sheet of these DSL standouts. Like, all right, maybe 
let's just keep an eye on it, see where it goes. Yeah, the other one I'm going to add to it that I think for you deep, deep leaguers that can add without repercussions and whatnot, because I'm very cautious of adding Dominican Summer League players, uh, especially ones that ha- didn't have a lot of uh, early perceived value. Unless I like uh, Brian Rocchio was someone specifically that, you know, he was a pop up kind of guy that Ben Badler had talked about. I had seen it and in the Dominican Summer League as he killed it. And then I was at his debut and I was like, holy crap, this is a dude. And we reported on it. So this is just early going. But these guys are being added out of pure speculation. The other one is Gabriel Gonzalez with the Mariners. A smaller guy, 5'10", 165, reminds me uh, body-wise a little bit more of Jonathan Clace. And he's killing it as well. Four homers, eight stolen bases with a 361 batting average. 442 OBP. He is also on this 1,000 OPS list. He comes in at number six with a 1122, 1,012, but a lower K percentage, which is under 20%, a double-digit walk percentage. Those were a couple things that really stood out with power, with speed. WRC Plus also currently at 198. But again, these are small sample size guys. He's only 17 years old, so very young. Two players that are added to the top 50, just giving people a little bit of an early look. And, you know, guys that we can talk about more too, Eric. Right. And Gonzalez is one. He almost cracked my 400. He was one. He's like one of the next 10 to 20 out. As you mentioned, he's shown just an all around skill set that we that can really pop in fantasy. Like he's shown, like I said, he's a little bit of a small guy, but he's shown so he has some power development there. He's shown a good contact approach right now. Speed is there. So, he definitely has a lot of the the tools, the building blocks that we look at in these younger you know guys in rookie ball. Like, all right, this is a profile that could realistically over the next year or two jump up to the top 100. Obviously, yeah. we never know. It's still super early, small sample size, like you mentioned. But these are the types of guys that could really, really pop. And Class A is a guy I love too in that system. So yeah, that, that's definitely one that I've I started putting him on my list a couple months or about a month or so ago. And now I almost put him in this last update. I my my he heaps going. He'll be in my four hundred next month for sure. And maybe guys that might pop over here stateside for me to be able to see both Arizona based guys that would come over. And you know, guys like Maximo Costa. Um, when you're seventeen years old, you come over. These guys build more muscle and get bigger. Five foot ten, one sixty five can turn into six foot one, one ninety five within a matter of a year. And he's right. showing big numbers. So everybody, keep those two players on your watch list and know that you heard it here first. We are going to go and debate some prospects, and we're going to do it right after this. Right now, the gap between what you should save and what you can save has never felt bigger. The U.S. Bank mobile app can help by finding ways to help you reach your savings goals with personalized insights that fit your real life to make your financial goals feel within reach. Because even our tools are smart enough to put people first. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Equal housing lender. Member FDIC. Right here in Greater Atlanta. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things. With a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be. Greater Atlanta's hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag Program, happening in your neighborhood today. Prospect 1. 
prospect debates, and they were submitted from the ITL Army for Prospect One, patreon.com slash ITL Army. I put out a post, and I let you guys have it. Actually, it was a free post, too. It was on Patreon. Um, I told everybody I was going to do it, but I didn't tweet about it because I also wanted to give the preferential treatment to the people that support Prospect One, and we got plenty. So we'll see what we can get through here. And I will uh, shout out the people that posted. I'm not sure we got every single one. Some people posted multiple. And there were a couple players in these debates that I saw trends of like guys that wanted to be talked about. Like, you know, there's some, it's like, hey, this guy, this guy, this guy. One of those players was Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker was one of those guys that had multiple debates. And, you know, the story is anybody that's listened has known. Loved Walker coming out of the draft. I was uber high on him. I have moved him up. I think some of you guys have jumped. And I think from what I know, you've now surpassed me on Jordan Walker because I think for a lot of us, it's too tantalizing for his age and the hard hit numbers that he put up to just go bonkers. You know, it's it's ridiculous. And he's an next level prospect and I'm with him. And I And I saw multiple of these. So there's actually two questions here. The first one from Drew Wolf is ETA and skill set with a higher ceiling question comparison between Jordan Walker and Edbert Perez. So we're going to verse them battle it out. Jordan Walker versus Edbert Perez. What do you think, Eric? That one, as much as I do like Walker and I moved him up a ton, that one is fairly easy for me. It's, it's Perez for me. I, Interesting. I am all in on Edbert Perez and got to give credit where credit's due. James Anderson was, one of the first, I'm not the first, to kind of really start pumping up Perez a year or so ago. Everything I've seen with Perez just really impresses me. And, like, obviously the stats are obviously there. Everyone can see that. But you think he hit a bomb tonight, by the way. As, like, yeah. as we're recording, I'm pretty sure uh, I think he hit a bomb tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, he did. Um, and just you watch him in the plate. Like, he looks so much more advanced than his age. You know, he, the way he is so balanced, so sit back. On break, you see him. He had an absolute tank to the opposite field on a breaking ball. He sat back on it, drove it like this. He looks like a you know a guy that's 22, 23 that has a lot more experience, but he's still only eighteen. Which he just started playing minor league ball like what a month and a half ago, whatever it was. So just how poised, how advanced he looks, and obviously then the raw tools, the powers there, speeds there. You know everything everyone likes about Brendan Davis is there with. Uh, with Hedbert Perez, and he, and yeah. this is a guy that you know. By the end of the year, I won't be surprised he's top ten. Like I, I already wow. have him, in, I have him in the teens right now. Like that just shows I'm all in on Edward Perez. I just get so impressed every time I see him in, at the plate. Just it's the balance, the poise, all the tools. Yeah. So the fact that yeah, Walker's got him in power, obviously Walker's one of the top power bats in the minor leagues. But I think the hit tool is either equal or maybe a slightly to Perez. And then he adds the speed as well. So it's interesting because I'm I'm a little bit inverse. So I have seen Perez a couple times out here, and I like him by the way a lot. He's like a good kid, speaks really good English. I will tell you the body in person. Um, he's a stocky dude, and I was talking with actually was me and James were texting about a bunch of different players this morning. James Anderson and we were talking about Edbert, and we were actually doing like this top list of some of the guys because I've been touting another person. Um, I think I've talked about, but like. I think people should start getting in on Kevin Alcantara. Uh, now that I've seen him in person out yeah. here with the Cubs, you should start getting in if you're not. A lot of swagger with this kid. Results are there. Kind of almost has like an O'Neill Cruz vibe of pure raw power where like 
It's interesting because you know I'm a, I'm a Preciado guy. Preciado is my number one player out here, and that's over Edbert Perez as far as what I've seen. Product. Have Edbert ranked higher, but the most impressive has been Preciado because I also see the body growth and where it's going to go. Where I look at being around Kevin, I'm not sure. Like he could go O'Neill Cruz style, where he never really like bulks up crazy. He might always be kind of a skinnier guy that you know just long limbs, gets to the ball, makes really good contact. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not sure if, you know, he ends up like fully, fully getting there. So, you know, the bodies are always going to change. Uh, I'm not even sure why I got onto uh, Alcantara. Oh, yeah, because James and I were texting about all those guys. <laughs> and we were talking about Edbert. And I was telling him, I said, you know, you do need to be careful about the body. Because there's a couple guys out here, like James Wood, I'm a little bit, I was like all in. And I'm a little bit worried after seeing him in person. Yeah, there's baby fat and stuff. Edbert is not fat. He's stocky. But I wonder how that's going to affect as we go a little bit further in the minors, especially if it does get away from him at all. And the pitching is really bad here. It's one of the worst years of pitching I've ever seen in the, the complex league. So I'm trying to also be you know, a little bit careful there. And, and James said something really interesting where he, he comped him to like, what if he's like a Jose Ramirez? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah. I could see that. I, I think there's a lot of similarities in that. Yeah, and I think he, actually he's a little stocky too. No, Jose Ramirez is totally stocky. And Edbert <laughs> kind of has that, you know, because he's only yeah. five foot ten. He's he's very tiny. Like that's the thing. He's not a skinny guy, but he's a tiny guy. So all those things aside, that comp is is, is pretty interesting. But I'm on the opposite end. I'm Jordan Walker. I th- I've got Jordan Walker. I don't have him in the teens, but you know, I've got him a little bit above Edbert. Uh he's already dominating at a much higher level with much better competitive pitching. He's putting up absolutely astronomically insane hard hit numbers for you know the level that he's at right now and he's hitting for like he's not doing anything of major concern like similar like edward's not doing that like edward is can steal a little bit and maybe it will be at the end of the day similar to jose ramirez i'm not 100 sold uh but edward makes really good decisions and is hitting breaking balls but i like so is Jordan Walker, and he's a super hard hit guy. And I'm not as sold that Edbert is going to be this massive, massive stolen base guy. So I get it, and I see it. But my vote goes to Jordan Walker. You're going to go Edbert Perez. Let me ask you a question real quick, yeah. though. As, as I pulled up as, as a number for Walker, I didn't realize since he moved up to high A, the the approach has kind of gone the other way. Like he had a fourteen point eight, does, yeah, yeah, fourteen eight walk rate, seventeen two K rate. And low A in 122 plate appearances and 123 in high A 4.9 and 28.5 respectively. So, are you worried at all that the you know the approach that we saw in low A was kind of a mirage, or do you think maybe it's kind of somewhere in the middle? Um, I well, I definitely. I mean, not to be cheap about it, I think it's somewhere in the middle. One of the really like positive things here is with because that because you're right it's a pretty dramatic drop in walks and a higher uh he still didn't go over 30 percent k rate at high a but he's still hitting 287 this isn't like the class this isn't the classic trajectory of a guy who hits 350 and then you know drops down or goes up to a level and then drops down to be a 210 hitter or 187 for 40 games and you're like oh He's still hitting the ball. I think you can see some of the adjustments. He's probably at high A. You're probably seeing a lot more breaking balls that he's obviously swinging at due to the higher swings and miss. He's walking quite a bit less, but he's still hitting for average and he's still smacking the ball. And in those 27 games that he's played at high A, he doesn't have as much power, but he's still dipped into it. So, I mean, you know, 19 year old kid who just turned 19, he's already got eight 
homers across two levels. I think the bat could be special and this could be a special power bat, but Edbert could as well. And I would say one of the big keys is, and I think people could hear it coming is if you could see Edbert get a promotion and continue at the same rate at, at high a or low a, then I think there is something a little bit more to start considering. And, and it, I've got Edwards like a, a right in the top 50 range. Like he's a top 50 prospect. I know I'm not as high as everybody else, but Edward Perez has six homers hitting 337 and two stolen bases. He has two stolen bases in 85 at bats. Jordan Walker has four stolen bases. Big old six foot four. Jordan Walker has more stolen bases than Edbert Perez this season. They've got the same amount of power and Jordan Walker is going against much higher competition. I don't think it's not close. Edbert provides maybe a little bit more stolen bases. Eyesight on Jordan Walker. But they're close. there. And let me ask you, not, not to keep rambling on this one. Uh, yeah, Jordan Walker's a good one to talk about, right? Edward yeah. and Jordan Walker, people are loving it. We're going to talk about Jordan Walker on Toolshed, too. And one of the debates I'm going to, you know, Chris and I are going to have is, is I want to get your take on it real quick. J- Jordan Walker or Nolan Gorman? Who you got there? I have Jordan Walker. Uh, that's a great me one. That's a, me too. Re- that's a really, really good one. Because uh, it, uh, funny enough, I actually had Nolan Gorman in my head when I was initially ranking Jordan Walker uh, in first year player, you know, not to keep touting it. Cause it is annoying when someone's like, Ooh, I was right and stuff, but like I Jordan Walker, like right as a top 100 guy. And I wanted to go further, but Nolan Gorman was in my head about, Oh, early success, but big K rate. So I kind of hedged myself a little bit, but Gorman's also found himself. He's so much better now. I, I still yeah. think there's like, you know, you look at some of the early numbers, you might lose yourself a little bit in how he's performed because, you know, he was, but he was dominating double uh, A and triple A. He's hitting 270 as well. But I think the impact, the big fantasy impact, we're talking like 35 plus homers, 100, 100, and high batting averages in Jordan Walker's future, where I think Nolan Gorman, I don't know, like if Nolan Gorman was Max Muncie, I think you'd be happy, but I'm not sure he's more than Max Muncie. I, I was just, I was just say Mike Mustakis. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I think that's the worst Max Muncy. That's like, if yeah. he's not as good as Max Muncy, he's Mike Moustakis. I kind of see Max Muncy as his ceiling, where Jordan Walker, I don't know, man, Rafael Devers, you know, maybe something in that. I mean, he's bigger, yeah. he's, but in that range, that's where, that's why I'm so high on, but I think you're higher on Jordan Walker, like from a physical rank than I am at this point. But um, I will cite on Jordan Walker. There was another one that was Jordan Walker based. It was um, Jordan Walker versus Nick Gonzalez. And it's funny because when I went on, you you know, I was trashing Jason a little bit and then he hits a homer. You're trashing Nick Gonzalez then he has two homers. I know, right? But this one's probably, I think after all that, it's probably still easy that you are uh, Jordan Walker over Nick Gonzalez. I am. It's, it's not a big gap. I have, where do I have Nick Gonzalez? Ten, about 10 spots, but what can I not find Nick Gonzalez right now? He is, oh yeah, 46. So yeah, 12 spots lower. In my rankings. What do you have Jordan yeah. Walker? 34. Ah, who did that? That was Dan Fu. I have Jordan Walker higher, you SOB. He said you had Jordan Walker higher. I have Jordan Walker at 29. Have? I have a 29. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. Not that it matters. <laughs> Not that it matters, but I had to prove Dan <laughs> he was wrong by saying that. But, I mean, are you feeling a little bit more confident? We don't need to do another debate on Walker, but are you feeling a little bit better about Nick Gonzalez, like kind of popping up after we talked, or is just everything still the same and it's just a random two-homer game he had? Yeah, I feel a little better. I'm, I'm not ready to bump him you know, back up to where I think I think I had him originally in like the right around 30. It might have been in the you know upper 20s or low 30s. I think I had him earlier on the season, but... It's funny because this is a f- fun debate because they're much different players, obviously. Like 
you know, with Walker's got the huge power and high, higher upside, I think definitely goes to Walker, just especially if the hit tool gains that he's made stick and keep improving. I think, you know, he could have early round fantasy upside where, where Gonzalez, like, all right, I think he can be solid. I think he can be an above average player. Got to give you, you know, 15 to 20 home runs, 15 to 20 steals, something like that with a decent average. But I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you're drafting like top 100 overall. I don't know. What yeah, do you see, think? That's, see, that's interesting because I, I think the the high end of Gonzalez could be like an Ozzy Albies. Like, I think he can be in that mm-hmm. range. And that and and if you – those ridiculous comps that I just threw out, Ozzy Albies, Rafael Devers, I mean, flip a coin, I suppose. I mean, Devers is going to get a little bit of the – the jump up there, but you know, at that point they're both valuable, but that's the ceiling right now. And, and Nick isn't dominating by any means. And, but he had some stuff against him. You know, he had like uh, lower college production and he did show some signs of not producing at super high levels, uh, a high, high competition, like he did uh, playing, you know, just the normal New Mexico state type of games. But, you know, he's at a more premium position. And if he can steal 20 bases and hit 25 homers and hit for decent out, I mean, Nick Adalas has one of the most spectacular bat speed type of bats if you've ever seen in person. It's just electric. He's absolutely electric with it. So that's where I'm stubborn. I'm still stubborn on Nick Gonzalez because I think the upside is exponential. And remember, he's also the he's the COVID class. You know, these COVID class guys that got drafted into a year with no minor leagues. And, you know, consider that, you know, keep that into yeah, consideration. And, and he only had, what, 16 games or whatever it was in his final year? of college ball before yeah. the shutdown. So it's like, I was yeah, at it was one of his game. last games. It was, it was a, he lost his college season. He had no minor league season. Then he's come in. The COVID class, I think has to be given a little bit extra benefit of the doubt. I mean, look how torque is Agreed. performing. Torque is like seven for seven. I think he I just know. had like a <laughs> hundred homers. He just went off today. Yeah, he went off it. And guess who started really, really slow. Spencer Torkelson started really, really slow. It's not oh, a one was, for one. He was terrible for a first, like terrible. <laughs> people, people were ready to, they were calling out the dogs on drafting Spencer Torkels and they were over it. Ah, oh, you know, lynch mob. Ah, get him, get him. They were so mad and look at him now. It's not, nothing is one for one, but I'm giving a little bit of extra benefit of the doubt to the really high end talent of the COVID class. Um, here's another okay. one. Tristan Costas versus Nick Prado. This is from Kellen. Kellen posted this one. Tristan Casas, 272, six homers, four stolen bases, also not counting his time with Team USA, which you have to consider. Nick Prado, obviously, dominating, 21 homers, eight stolen bases, 275 batting average, all the way up to triple A right now. And uh, Nick Prado, 22, Casas, 21. Who do you got? I got Casas, you know, and it's funny because someone asked me the other day, it was kind of like, all right, you look at these two guys, and for me, like obviously, when you look at the stats for these two this year, it's night and day, right? You you just mentioned them. Prado's dominating. Cassis has been like all right. I've I've seen a ton of Cassis. He's he's kind of he hasn't really impressed me, but he's been all right. But you know, for me, I look at what I think they could be down the road, and well, I don't think there's a big gap here. Like even though they're you know sixty ish spots apart in my overall. I mean, when you think about it, 60 ish spots for me, like between these two, I think the difference is power. I think I think they're gonna hit for similar averages. I think they'll both be in that 260, 70, 280 range in Where that you general. Have Prado? Uh 80 something. Okay. And you got Casas in the twenties? 
Yeah, but he he did bump down about eight nine spots. Okay, um, I've got Costas yeah. in the twenties too, but I've got Prado inside the top fifty. So yeah, and I, I might be a little low on Prado. Obviously, I'm not as high as you. We've established that. But <laughs> well, I mean, people have asked me, but yeah, my mine is just a track record along yeah. with him. I think that I think the difference for me is I think Casas can be uh, Prado plus five to ten home runs more. I think Prado can be twenty five to thirty. I think Casas has a legit shot at 35 to 40 with that power you know right now he's only had home runs he's really hasn't really been driving the ball in the air he's a higher ground ball rate hasn't really been getting the loft that you'd want from him but that raw power like i think that might have been the, the best raw power on that class that he was in um i am definitely still in on him being a 35 homer bat so that's yeah. where i am like people think it's all oh, it's he's 60 spots lower there's a huge gap well yeah it might look that way because of the number rank next to their name but it really all that is is you know ten home runs or so really like yeah so. sometimes it's it's a lot less I, I'm Casas with you I'm same thing um I in the back of my head I keep having I, I need to get long and hang it back on because he, he's been kind of he he's been doing some cool like Twitch streams with fan graphs but he did one where he was really kind of railing on like you know everyone needs to chill out about Nick Prado like that Prado is going to level out and he's not who he is right now and it's something that sticks but I think Casas is like a hard impact bat that's going to have a lot of power middle of the order lineup i think Prado's a guy that could struggle but Prado also steals bases and uh i love the guy All right, let's burn through some more here uh david f this is a pretty easy one we don't need to go too crazy on this one but robert hassel versus garrett mitchell because eric has mitchell in the top 10 i don't even need to do this one because you know listening for me, it is Robert Hassel, who is inside my top 15. I think that someone asked me, like, oh, do you think the power is going to develop? Yep, I ain't worried about it. 26 stolen bases, hitting 300 as a teenager in low A. I love everything about him. 400 OBP. And yes, I believe the power will develop. I am team Robert Hassel. Uh, I have a pretty big difference. Not big, but like, you know, enough of a difference between these two guys. What do you think? Because you have Mitchell higher. Is there any room that Hassel is the guy or is it still Mitchell? Oh, it definitely could be hassle. And for me, it's basically a coin flip. But right now I do have, you know, Mitchell a handful of spots higher. But basically eight through about 17 are very, very close for me right now. Uh, I love hassle too. Like I am all in on hassle. I hate that I have to pick against hassle here. It really sucks because I love yeah. hassle so much. And so he's he's my number 14 right now. I want to move him higher, but like the guys in front of him for me and Riley Green, Adley Rushman, et cetera. So it's kind of hard to do so, even though I want to in general. But yeah, definitely think if that power, I think it's kind of like the X factor for both these guys. If the power comes up, they've shown good contact skills, good approach, good speed. It's like, all right, which power develops more? I think that's to be the, the better player overall. And I definitely agree. Everything you see with Hassel, it's there, like the bat speed. He's got a nice swing path that can drive the ball in the air consistently. Just he's got bulk up a little bit. I think that power could be there. You know, huge power? No. You know, fifth, you know, 15 to 20 home runs? Absolutely. Maybe even a little more because he's got the contact skills, the bat speed. Yeah. So I, I think he definitely could be a guy that, even though he's not going to be a big guy or huge power, but like, look at like a Mookie Betts. You know, all the, you know, the techniques are there. Like I said, the bat speed, contact skills, and Mookie being 5'9", buck 80, was able to have some 30 home run seasons. Will Hassel get there? I don't know, but I definitely think Hassel could be in my top 10 very soon. So, I got. I still give the sled edge to Mitchell. I know I'm one of the higher, probably the highest around on Garrett Mitchell, but love, love, love both these guys. Yeah. Um. This is this guy came up a couple times as well. Oswald Peraza. Jimmy T posted this debate. Oswald Peraza versus Anthony Volpe. What do you think? 
Now, if you asked me a month ago, I'd say Ultra Peraza. But mm-hmm. I know I saw him a couple of times and he's kind of, you know, he's not another one where he started out obviously super, super hot in high A. In double A, it's been still pretty good, but I wasn't like super impressed with my looks at him. And there was only a few games, I get that, but you know, I I look at when I compare him, I think, you know, the, the power development of Volpe had like, I knew he had, you know, Volpe always predicted as a good hitter, you know, good speed. But the power is really is what has really shot him up, right? I'm not like over, overly surprised his batting average right now or the stolen base totals, but that the power that he's shown, where I think he's you know, there's similar skill hits, I think, but I think Volpe's just like a little bit higher across the board. Um, so and he's doing better or equal or better at a younger age too. So I, I leave here on both these guys. Um, it sucks that they're both in the game. <laughs> very good player for a long time but i do lean Volpe a little bit yeah this is a really really tough one because i'm like i already admitted like i'm you know being a little stubborn about Volpe right now and I'm, I'm trying to move him up he's done one thing that just checks all the boxes for me is he has moved two levels and he has hit at both levels but i'd also yeah. say that like peraza has kind of done that he had 306 at high a and he's moved up to double a which i mean i think that's the biggest transition high to double and he's hitting 284 he's still hitting 284 he has more homers now i mean his homer trajectory looks good 27 stolen bases 17 homers i really really like peraza volpe is just you know a little bit younger and just a step below but he is checking all the boxes i think it's razor thin i think volpe and perception has moved above a lot of these guys but i am still peraza so i'll be interested what the listeners are another one that we got thrown out this is a great one too preciado reggie preciado with the cubs versus oswalt peraza that that's a tough one for me like right now I do have Peraza ranked higher, but I think a lot of that is because you know, he, we've seen more from Peraza so far, right? We, Preciado has been super impressive, but in a much smaller sample size. Went three for three tonight, by the way. Last time I looked, he was back Preciado. in the lineup leading off. Preciado did and went three for three. Mm. Oh, geez. Two yeah, homers, so, seven stolen bases, 351 batting average. Sorry. All right. So right now I have Peraza ahead, but if I had to project where I think I'll have both these guys at, you know, my March update next year, I, I got a feeling it's going to be Preciado. Like, like you've mentioned how you're kind of all in on Preciado as well and how impressive he's been out there for you. And he checks up all those boxes of a impact bat. I still think there's plenty of projection on that frame too. You know, probably, I don't know, shortstop third, I think more so a third base moving forward as he, as he grows. But I think the bat can stand out there. He's showing good contact, the power projection. I think he could be a 30-homer bat. You know, with a little bit, he's, you know, even though he's going to fill out a bit, I still think he's athletic enough where he can be like, you know, an eight to 10 steel guy. Who knows how that'll, how that'll go. But uh, yeah, definitely right now, Peraza, but I think it's going to be Preciado in short order. Yeah. My next update, people will see it is Preciado for me. Um, yeah, I, that's fair. Yeah. I, it's, it's hard to, you know, because the pitching is so bad out here. It's, it's hard to say otherwise because I think Peraza is just a monster, but Preciado, my in person looks, I'm just, uh, I'm in. All right. Let's blaze through a couple more of these here. Uh, and that last one, by the way, Preciado versus Praza was also our boy Dan Fu. Uh, PCA versus Isaiah Green, Matthew Miller, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, Isaiah Green. No, n- neither one of them are um, are Mets anymore. But what do you think, Green or PCA? Both former Mets. Um, 
man, it, they're both similar to me in terms of like what I think they could be long term. Like, you know, they're both solid contact skills, great speed. See if the power develops for either. Right now, it's kind of you know forty power, but I, I lean PCA here. Even though it, I would definitely lean PCA if he wasn't injured. So this is only really a question for me right now because of the injury to PCA. Even though I am an Isaiah Green guy, I've always kind of been a little higher on him than most, I believe. But I think there's just more polish right now to his game. Um, even though they're both very young, but he looked like PCA didn't look like a lot of prep batches. Saw like he looked like a more advanced. 18 year old than usual you see so um I, I think there's a chance he develops into a 15 homer bat i don't think there's anything much more than that i don't I think there's 20 homer in that power in that profile even if he does bulk up you know add loft all those things you see but um i will lean pca here i think this is a high similar upside higher floor with pca yeah i'm with you i'm with you on p i've got pca higher uh green is in my uh that's what james and i were doing my top three most impressive from the complex league this year isaiah green is in that list right now um well he was actually and he just got knocked down by alcantara and green is right there he's a little tentative i mean he walks a lot i see a lot of that michael brantley comp that's out there like where's the impact power but I think he's a stud athlete, but I actually am more optimistic about PCA. I think he can and will bulk up and he shows good contact skills early on. And I think he's going to step into power as he comes back from injury. So it is PCA last debate. And then there's just a couple questions. We're going to just try to burn through Matthew Hammond asks Josh Lowe versus Drew Waters. And I think this one was because I had not made a bit, one of those stubborn ones on Drew Waters. I hadn't made the big bump down and you had made the big bump up i think so josh Lowe versus drew waters eric for me this is pretty easy I, josh Lowe, i think he josh Lowe is one of the more underrated prospects in all of baseball and he's been in the shadow of wander franco the shadow of Vito brujan and now shane baz like, there's always better prospects in that system than him so but if he was in you know, like the Angels or the Royals, an org that doesn't have super, well, obviously the Royals have wit, but, you know, an org that's not Tampa Bay. I think he would get so much more love than he does. And yeah, you know, there was some holes in the profile lower on, but he's kind of Im- steadily improved throughout his minor league career. You know, the speed's there. He's a plus speed guy. You know, the power's ticked up, or I think he could be a 20, 25 type of guy. And yeah, I don't think he's ever hit for a super high average, but he's definitely improved there. K rates come down. So I think he's going to be like a 260, 20, 25 type of guy where I think I feel confident in him getting there. I think that's like absolute best case scenario for Waters isn't even that. Like I've never been, I've soured on Waters. Every update, I drop him down 15, 20 spots. You know, the, the platoon issues, I don't think he gets to as much power as he could. I don't know how much he runs. I don't know how much average he hits for it. So I just have a lot of questions for around Drew Waters that I don't have at as many questions for Josh Lowe. So I'll go low here by a good margin. I've got them like right near each other. Uh, I'm still team Drew Waters. This is that stubbornness. Uh, Waters is showing like high impact stolen bases to, to be fair. You know, I, I've seen Lowe and Lowe is kind of more of complete right now, but I think, you know, there's the developmental process. I think there's Drew Waters is readjusting, selling kind of back out for power, which is causing that batting average to go down. Good bat speed, pretty 
pretty like strong raw talent. I just think he's more raw than low. So I don't blame yeah. you wanting low above. Uh, even if you just said like, hey, they're close to similar talents. Low is closer to coming up. But I'm going to just slight, slight edge Drew Waters and they're within notches of each other. Uh, last little stuff here. Some quick, some quick hitter questions. Kellen asks, can we get your thoughts on Yuri Perez? Uh, you have him inside your top 100. I have not made the top 100 move. He's a pop-up guy. He's throwing strikes, smooth action. He's a big kid on the mound. Yeah, he's I like just six, have, six eight or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I maybe I'm a little jaded to Michelle Baez. You know, my Michelle Baez stuff. Um, it's <laughs> not the same, but you know, Yuri Perez is he, he's doing it. But I I have not made the move. Uh, I'm not super hyper aggressive, especially on pop up pitchers. So that's maybe a little bit more my problem. I mean, what what got you to push him top 100 besides just effectiveness? Is there anything besides just like the numbers he's put up this year that you've fallen in love with? No, it's it's a little bit of everything to be honest with you. Like. He's a guy I gotta give, you know, I again give props where it's due about God for the season, you know, uh, early on in the minor league season, my co my co-host on, on five tool, Jesse Roche from baseball perspectives, he was really pumping up Yuri Perez then. He's like, you know, get this guy now. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a dude. And you know, so far, so good. He's been he's been definitely a dude so far in low A. It's just like I said, a little bit of everything is the the stuff is there. You know, he's got the big fastball, good shape to it. You know, I think that it could be a plus fastball, plus breaker as well. That he's shown a good feel for spin in there. Shows a good feel for his changeup as well. Like, you know, it's, I got a chance. I think this could be like a three above average to plus pitch mix here. And yeah, the walk rate, you know, it's nine, around nine and a half percent last time I checked. That's not bad. Like, I'm okay with that from an 18 year old who was barely 18. Like, I think he turned 18 in like March or, or April. So, like, a month or so before the minor league season started is when he turned 18. So, he was a young 18. Full A, you know, low A affiliated ball. It is pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's like he he's got smooth actions. You know, doesn't there's not a lot of effort in his, in his delivery. He can repeat it well. Shown advanced feel for his age. I just everything he's shown. Like I'm 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 in the middle of writing an article about some p- pitching prospects on the rise when I have him in it, and I was like, we're seeing things that you don't usually see from an 18 year old out of Yuri Perez. So. Yeah, you know, this could just be one that, you know, it's a small sample size and I get burned on it, but I've just been so impressed with everything I've seen that I'm willing to make that, you know, make that big jump on him. Yeah, that's a big jump in the top 100. I'm a little bit worried about, yeah, like getting into that third pitch and, you know, I, I might have a little bit of bias of like there was really tall pitchers and being able to stabilize as like a starter and, you know, pretty easy to have those like big and, you know, intimidating two pitch guys uh, that come off the mound to just move them over to the bullpen. So I just, I think I have some of those questions. It's probably lack of looks or also as well, or me putting a hyper focus. I think there's a lot of people that like to live in the, the proverbial mud of prospects and that's where you rise them. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all, but like I haven't, I haven't made that big dive because I do have questions about that third pitch and um, not trying to be dismissive of like, it's easy to be productive at, low levels but you know you're a big six foot eight guy with a big powerful fastball that throws for strikes and you can if you can throw a secondary pitch for a strike rook complex and and like low a that's a place that you're going to succeed so he does this again at high a then it's a watch out situation so i think that answers that Uh, michael harris uh jimmy t says people seem to be all over the board on him i'm i've been pretty consistent uh do you have any hardcore thoughts about michael harris one way or the other he's not going to develop power or i don't know any of the stuff that we hear about him no, no, I, I've been kind of right with you. I've been, I bumped him up early in the season when he started, you know, sh- he was breaking out 
And I've kind of kept him in a pretty so he's been in like the back 25 of my top 100 basically the entire year. Um, you know, he's he's been very consistent. Like he hasn't had like these super. You know, yeah, obviously he started hot and he got a little cold, but outside of that, he's been pretty consistent. I don't know, but I do question the power. Like I wonder how much power he gets to if he's maybe he's only a 12 to 15 homer guy. But same time, yeah, I think there's 20 plus steals there. There's a solid average there as well. It doesn't strike out a whole ton. Let me ask you a couple I, guys: Harris yeah. or Canario? You don't have to do big breakdowns. Just pick your guys. Uh, oof, right now it's Harris, but Canario is a guy that could really pop the next year or so. Um, I, I lean Harris, but that, that's a hard one. Harris or Benny Montgomery? That one's not fair because you have to just go off of your college stuff with Benny. Who, by the I way, know. as you guys are listening to this, I may be seeing Benny today. Nice. That that's awesome. I I have Benny higher. I think by about ten to fifteen spots because. I think if that hit comes along, Benny's a monster. Like we've seen the power speed that that kid has. So I, I'll go Benny there. Last one. This is not same position. Michael Harris or Jeter Downs? Oh, <laughs> I, I dropped Do down. It. He was like my biggest, one of my biggest uh, followers from my last update. So that means it's hard. It's still Downs. Oh, but, I don't feel as confident about that as I did a month ago. I have legit concerns about how the K rate has skyrocketed with downs this year up over 30%. Yeah. It was not like he was like a 12%. K. He was like, I think he was always like low to mid 20s, you know, decent. But yeah, the fact that he's, last time I checked, he was hitting under 200. It was like 194 last time I checked a few days back. So yeah, that's closer. And this, this could have flip flopped soon, but right now it's still downs. But I do have my concerns with him, unfortunately. I got Michael Harris on that one. All right, here's the last thing. Carrie uh, asked us, or I'm sorry, no, it's not Carrie. Donald, sorry, Carrie. Carrie asked a question about uh, the complex level stuff, like Jose uh, Ramos, who I talked about a couple weeks ago and has really popped off. Uh, it was a long and hanging question about him being over Luis Rodriguez. It's, it's a good question. We'll save it for another uh, time. Maybe I'll answer it next week. But Donald asked, uh, for us to name a position and a pitcher outside of our top 100 that everyone should own. And I think that's very subjective and it's difficult because we can be a lot higher, but like, I'll just easily say as far as a hitter goes, Kevin Alcantara, if he's not inside the top 100, which I don't think he's hit a lot of top 100s, Kevin Alcantara who traded from the Yankees to the Cubs, I think is a player that you should own outside of the top 100. I could say a litany of pitchers, but I'm bad because I devalue pitching a little bit more than other guys. So you guys might have others. I'll continue to my Homer homeristic nature. And I would just keep saying Blake Walston. You know, Blake yes. Walston, 105 strikeouts in 78 innings this year, a little bit inflated ERA, but 20 year old at high A has been dominating. So those would be two guys outside the top 100. I think you'd have to own. So what do you got, Eric? Yeah. And you know me, I've been a big Blake. Walston yeah. You like Walston too, a lot. So fully endorsed Blake Walston there. Love him uh, for a pitcher. I'll go a guy that's actually pretty close to Walston. My overall guy, I think, is very underrated. Matt Cantorino from the, from the Twins. He was he mm. just came back. He was he missed I think a good two months with an injury, and that's kind of been the, the knock on him. Is you, know, you haven't really seen a long string of success from him, but when he has pitched, he has looked damn good. I th- I think he is the best arm in that org. I like him a little. That's no knock to Belazovic or Duran. But I like him a little more. You know, the big fastball slider. I think the changeup's good as well. So. Uh, Cantorino is a guy that I think you can get for a pretty reasonable price in dynasty leagues because I think everyone's still all about uh, Blazovic and Duran. Yeah. That's not a bad thing, but I think you can get him for a pretty reasonable price. I think, and I think he's just flat out better by a little bit. Definitely um, a but, listener is hat. One of my listeners is happy because they they yelled at me a couple like months ago, like why aren't you high on Cantorino? And I'm like, eh, 
We're getting there. We're getting there. So someone's happy. All right, who's your hitter? <laughs> uh, a guy you, uh, you mentioned briefly earlier, Owen Casey. Uh, I've loved yes, Owen Casey. Man. He has excelled so far. You know, he's 19 years old for the Cubs, Canada outfielder. I love Casey. That power, I think he could be a 35-homer bat. There's so much projection on that frame. He's already shown plus or better raw power. And he's a good athlete, too. Like, he's not just a power-only guy. I think he can add a little bit of speed to that profile as well. And he's another one of these guys that has shown a pretty, you know, a solid hit tool so far better than I thought. Like he, that was the question about him. Like, all right, there's big power there, decent speed. What's the hit tool look like? You know, so far, so good. Small sample size, of course, but definitely a guy that's been really impressing me so far. He's bumped up to uh, 137 in my last wow. ranking, and I think he could be, you know, he keeps us up. Could be top 100 by season's end. I really like him that much. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. He, uh, I mean, he he was like sitting in my 300s. He broke out of that. I actually just talked to him uh, like three days ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, because he was walking up on the Cubs side, and and I've caught him a couple times, and we've chatted, and uh, we were talking, and I was like, dude, when are they getting you out of here? And he's like, he kind of did the like, he's like, I don't know, it's out of my control, and I, and I looked at him, I was like, dude, like <laughs> you've been destroying. I gotta imagine they're getting out of here. Because he's killing it. He's showing good raw power. He's showing so much more confidence from the first time uh, I saw him in very early stages of complex to now. Way more confident. The power is clicking. I think he's got six homers so far, making good contact. Be careful because, like I said, it's bad pitching right now. Right. Balls are flying as well. Um, but he's poised. And the Cubs team is pretty poised. And I agree yeah. with you. I'm not, I'm not like inside the top 150 agreement because, like, for me – 151 to 250 is very minimal, even though someone might be like, oh, my God, you have him at 240 and this person has at 170. I'd be like, dude, that's not that. Trust me. It's not that much of a exactly, yeah. real yeah. difference agree. that um, not inside the top 150. But I do agree that like with more push, he really has a chance to go because he does have raw, pure power. And I uh, I really like that one. That's a good one. Eric Cross on Twitter at Eric Cross 04 fan tracks tool shed podcast and uh, five tool that you can check out. I highly suggest you do it. Subscribe to the podcast. Check out his stuff over at Fantrax. And I'm not going to even ask you what you're doing because you're going on vacation. You're going to get the hell out of here and like take a break. So enjoy yeah. your break, my friend. I enjoyed the debates. You're off the hot seat. And uh, I look forward to talking more prospects with you soon. Absolutely. It's always a, always a pleasure, Chris. All right. Later, buddy. There you go. Thank you, guys. And thank you to Eric for uh, hanging out for a little bit. I was on the Toolshed podcast about a week ago, and we had set up that he was going to join me here. So very thankful to have him on the show next week. Obviously, we're going to go through. We're going to try to get a little more standard. I may have a guest, but we are going to try to go through some of the big hot names and some of the adjustments that have happened in you know, even just the last two weeks. It's a very it's it's always volatile, I suppose, but it's even more volatile uh, than ever. And, I, and these debates are really good as well to push me. Uh, I need to be pushed sometimes. I need to, to challenge myself with some of the thought process because, you know, I, I can be, now, you know, I go hard. I'll go hard on some of the ranks, but I can be stagnant on very specific things. You know, and even this debate of like, uh, Anthony Volpe is a perfect example. I have check marks that I'm looking for. And you guys all like know them relatively by now. Like I'm looking for, uh, high contact at lower levels. I'm looking for multiple level success. You know, I'm looking for extremes where you can find them to go balls to the wall because I think we can get a little too flippant about, oh, this guy's doing this at this level. Bam, here we go. 
But at the same time, you could have made the same argument about like Luciano or Abrams and look at them now um, as I'm thinking about like Everson Ortega. You know, do you want to make him a top 100? Well, what he's doing here in the complex level warrants it relatively. But he was kind of a pop-up guy, but he's got a beautiful swing. He's showing power. But again, I would monitor like the pitching is really bad. It's really, really bad. But Volpe is one of those guys that like he checks those, yet I was still being a little tenuous on it. So that's why it's good to be challenged. It's good to um, think about these type of things. And sometimes you just need to say it out loud. I can't tell you, I've been doing not just prospects, but fantasy stuff. I've been doing it since 2014, like in an on-air perspective. The amount of times I've had the smartest people in the industry on and I present them with a debate that is counter to how they value guys and they go, oh, and they really think about it. It's, it's astonishing how many times that happened. And these, it's not that they're not convicted. It's just like you present somebody with this scenario, even if guys are 30 spots off and they go, oh, wow, this is closer. And you know what? Actually, I am here. That happens all the time. So it's just good to challenge yourself in different ways than just being like, okay, I've seen this guy. This is the value. Cool. This is the stat. No, like do some of these comparisons. Go at each other. You, you hear where it goes. You can do it yourself. Um, and I'm glad to do them here on the podcast and we will do more, you know, in September, I'll probably have a full another debate episode, maybe just do it once a month because I think it's helpful and it's helpful for me as I uh, continuously establish where I want and struggle with the guys that I think have massive talent that are not performing at the level and struggle with the guys that are crazily performing that didn't have the grades of the top talent and how do you balance all of those? That's what, that's what we're here for. And hopefully you guys, uh, hopefully you got some really good stuff out of this and some actionable items for you guys to move forward with some of your prospects. Even though I know this is the weirdest of weird time where you're essentially either kind of like dead in the water of being able to make trades or pickups, or some of you still have the ability to freely pick up prospects. And that is a big thing that uh, I tend to be helping people out with a lot, especially on Patreon. So if you got any of those, hit me up. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Prospect One. Oh, what I think I may do next week to jump ahead, forgot to tell you this, I have made my initial Arizona Fall League prediction sheet. Every single team with the players that I think are close to locks, and I'm going to do another pass because I, I think you could selfish like there's a lot of people that could just put all the prospects and I don't do that I try to I try to think about how because I've seen the, the rosters be constructed I will construct each team seven prospects that I the seven prospects I think could go and then what the locks for the teams are and I don't know what I'm gonna do with it yet maybe I'll do it on the podcast next week uh, you can let me know if you if you even care you want to see that maybe I'll actually do like a little post an article about it. Uh, but I may mention it, but I've got my initial, because I, I have been told of a couple players that will be there, and I think there's a ton that makes sense, and I even constructed them by their teams last year, so all it matters, if you're coming out here in the fall league and you care, that's cool, but if you're also looking for what some of the top prospects are doing when the season is over, and how they can change their value, the Arizona Fall League 100% does that. It 100% can get you back in. I touted Pete Alonzo post uh, big time post-Arizona Fall League, and that was a payoff. And some don't necessarily, you know, Royce isn't paying off right now, but that was due to injury. But um, it is something I may do on the next episode, so let me know if you definitely want to see that. But I have done my first round list of every single team in baseball and who I think they'll send to the Fall League. And I'll try to get that out 
before the fall league sends it out and ruins my time all right follow me on twitter at is it the welsh and sign up over at patreon.com slash itl army you guys have a fantastic weekend and i'll talk to you guys again next week see ya o'reilly auto parts will help you find just the right parts products and accessories for your car so you can get the job done right the first time we'll also test your battery and check engine light change your wiper blades and refer you to a repair shop if needed trust our professional parts people we're here to help you keep your car on the road stop by o'reilly auto parts today or visit o'reillyauto.com oh 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 o'reilly auto parts right here in greater atlanta here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics their destinies were changed their new lives are fantastic what once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling plastics can be so much more give this trash a second chance it was hoping Greater Atlanta's hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag Program, happening in your neighborhood today. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Hey everybody, it's Brent Michaels. Welcome to episode 18 of the DI Podcast. DI stands for double interview. So in every episode, I have a guest whom I interview for about 15 minutes and the table's turn. It's the double interview. They get to then ask me whatever they want. Uh, check out some of our most recent podcasts, uh, country artists Cole Swindell and Lindsay L. We've had interviews with the, some of the DJs on our KZZ radio staff. Uh, we've had Hillary, Utility Hillary, from the Bobby Bones Show on the Bull. Uh, we've had local podcasters, so a lot of different interviews to check out. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, uh, consider following the podcast. Uh, give it a good rating. It helps others to find it when they search the DI Podcast. I've wanted to have today's guest on for a while. Christy Ludwig is a local business person. She's about to become an author. Uh, she does so much for charity, local nonprofits, through her company, Vibe Stitch, which is a lifestyle brand she's going to tell you about that makes hats, kind of other wearables. Some of the hats she makes are kind of inspirational. Some are fun or funny. Some have to do with holidays. But she's using her platform to make a big difference in our community. And with me specifically, she is the co-founder of 6615. That's the apparel brand I created with her. Uh, 661 is Bakersfield's area code. 615 is Nashville. So the brand represents where Bakersfield and Nashville and country music come together uh, to do something awesome in the world. And so, man, I could not do any of that without her. We talk about that. We talk about her book that's coming out. And uh, she asked me some pretty fun questions as well. So here we go. Episode 18 of the DI Podcast with Christy Ludwig. Hi, Christy. How are you? I am so good. How are you, Brent? Good. Thank you for coming to do the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You are a very successful business owner. I guess we'll start there. We'll talk about 6615 in a minute. But for people that aren't familiar with Vibe Stitch, how do you describe your company to people? Vibe Stitch is a lifestyle hat brand. Okay. So basically what the goal and the main focus of Vibe Stitches behind the scenes is just to connect people um, in a very disconnected world. We have funny sayings on hats or something empowering or whatever, but it always sparks up a conversation. And then we just put hats on people's heads. How long have you been doing Vibe Stitch? Four years. Almost four years. That's crazy. I know. I can't believe it. When you first started, how many different kinds of hats did you sell? Oh, my gosh. 
I don't even know. We've gone through so many <laughs> different styles. Um, I have some pictures from the beginning where it's really embarrassing now that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe people bought those. But apparently they were cool at one time. <laughs> and so people, of course, can shop at VibeStitch.com. But yeah. I mean, you've even now expanded it. I mean, I see you at events. I think I saw you post recently. I'm now selling them in retail locations that you've worked things out with. What does that feel like to just watch this thing that started out of your garage now become this massive business. It is almost surreal. I was in Manhattan Beach just recently walking down the street and there were my hats in a window. It was just so cool to see my little VS logo on the side of a hat. And um, there are a few stores there that carry them. And, you know, I just for 2021, I really wanted my goal to be to get into 100 stores. Okay. Which I, I mean... It's good to dream big, you know, but I never thought it would actually happen. But I'm at like 94 right now. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm so, and it's all over the world, not even just in America, which is great. Where are some places people can get Vibe Stitch hats? Um, my biggest supporter is Baby Me, Simply Me. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are amazing. Um, Skinsation. So when you work with stores and things outside of Bakersfield, how do most of those come about? Is it something you reach out Have you ever been contacted by a business owner that saw a product of yours someplace and then kind of reached out to Vibe Stitch? How do most of those things happen? It's it's kind of all of them. So I have a lot of people that reach out to me um, that want to carry it. I'm also on a wholesale website. Uh, Stores can go and look and find brands. And so they find me through there. And then I was... It's a really cool story, but when I first started Vibe Stitch, I really... I didn't know much about influencers and, you know, getting... You know, the whole thing with social media, it was just like, I felt so old. And I ended up searching <laughs> through Instagram for people that I thought, maybe they'll wear my hat for free, you know, and take a picture and send it to me. And I found this little girl. She was probably, um, I don't know, 11 or 12 at the time. Adorable. Her name was Mia. And I messaged her. And her mom responded and was like, oh, we would love that. Thank you. So I ended up sending a huge box for her and all her little friends. And something about her just drew me to her. But fast forward now to three years later, and um, her mom is a a hat rep. (laughs) She goes around. She's now She goes to stores for me. So she goes around, and she doesn't just do hats. She does everything. But she wanted Vibe Stitch to be her only hat company that she promotes. So super cool. She gets me a lot of business. And I know you're a mom, um, and you're a mom with sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. What do you feel being a successful woman business owner helps teach your daughter? Oh, Bella and I have this conversation quite often. She's 11, going on 25. And this kid, she um, she always starts her own businesses. Like every other month, there's a new business she wants to start. <laughs> so it's kind of fun watching all, all my kids are always there. They definitely have that entrepreneurial spirit in them. Um And I show them, you know, the biggest thing I think for me is failing. So when I fail, instead of being like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, sales are down this month, whatever. I explain to them, hey, money's a little tight right now. Mm -hmm. And this is why. And here, you know, and then there's months where money's like incredible. And so, you know, it's I'm very, very open with them on the reality of what it's like to run your own business out of the house. I mean, they see me in my pajamas you know, on conference calls and making hats and all the things, they they just know that is their mom. They don't know anything different. Is there a certain time of year where people tend to buy more hats? Yeah. You know, usually seasonally. Everybody, it's so funny because people are very, um, I'm the same way, very spontaneous. So when they 
when it's a holiday and they see something for sale, they usually people are like, oh, I need that now. And then they buy it. So those usually right before a week before a holiday is usually pretty big for me. Um, but I try I try not to do only I try not to focus only on holidays because I like to come up with random ideas throughout the mm-hmm. week. And so every week I'll plan something new and random and and then it just comes in waves. So there's no it's like hit or miss. Do you come up with all the ideas for the different hats or do you have other people that give you ideas? Both. I yeah. Sometimes I can't sleep because I have the stupidest things flowing through my head. So I have to write them down or put them in my phone. But but I mean, I have a ton of friends that'll be like, hey, this would be a funny one. Or I'll, I'll see something online and then I tweak it. And just I get inspired by little things. We're talking with Christy Ludwig. Uh, she's a local business owner. Uh, she owns Vibe Stitch. And I think you and I met... Now, probably almost three years ago, when you were running for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society Woman of the Year, and so we talked about doing these hats that say warrior, and that's kind of how you and I met. How would you describe that experience? Because, I mean, I know you hustled that year. At that time, I feel like with that campaign, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society had never had someone raise $50,000. I think that's right. And that year... You and someone else both did it. What do you remember about that experience? And, you know, how do you feel that helped advance your business? That was such an incredible, incredible opportunity. It was my first time ever doing anything like that. I had never even heard of it before. So jumping in, um, I just kind of jumped in headfirst and and ran with it. For my business-wise, um, you know, that those warrior hats were huge. I learned so much about this whole, it's like a whole different world, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and then mm-hmm. all of the people that have leukemia. Like, it's a whole different world. There's tons of families. There's so many people are affected. I had no idea. So getting to know all of that was really amazing. And then with these warrior hats, I got to have conversations with people, a lot of conversations like, oh, my son died from leukemia. And there's like a guy had a tattoo on his arm and couldn't wait to wear this warrior hat and take a picture of his tattoo and his hat together. And, you know, people just um, came and just gathered around me and supported everything I did. So for my business, it really changed the trajectory of Vibe Stitch. I always wanted it to be a connection, but then it became, oh my gosh, I can make even more connections and raise money for really important nonprofits. And so when you and I, when you reached out and we ended up doing that, the warrior hat, it was just incredible. Well, and I feel now that has become a huge part of Vibe Stitch is, yes, I mean, Vibe Stitch sells a lot of lifestyle hats and and that's obviously a core part of your business. But you've now worked with several nonprofit organizations um, where you know, you donate the money you make from those specific lines to whatever charity is you're working with. What are some of the ones that have been the most memorable or the ones that have really caught on? Well, that one for sure, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society was a huge one for me. Another one, which was kind of cool, was kind of at the beginning. Um, the Ronald McDonald House contacted me and asked me to make some hats that said um, small house, big heart. And it was a fundraiser they had. And they were doing an auction for different things. And my one hat was was in in their auction. And it sold for several hundred dollars. That's crazy. I know. It was was really, really, it was another surreal moment. Like, 
okay. And that's when I realized that, oh, there's something here. So that, and then another one would be during quarantine, I, I partnered with Hoffman Hospice and who is local and they, oh my gosh, again, it's another nonprofit that I wasn't very familiar with. Mm-hmm. I haven't had to use their services yet. And wow, they are doing incredible things. So learning that, learning all of learning all of the things that they do behind the scenes and then raising money. They had a campaign that said everything is going to be okay. And actually a Vibe Stitch customer messaged me that I had never met in person and said, I think you and Hoffman Hospice should should collaborate. And I thought, what a great idea. So I just messaged them and, and that's how that happened. Um, we ended up raising $1,000 and it was it was really cool, really quickly. And everybody seemed to catch on. Well, and of course, Christy and Vibe Stitch helped me with 6615. And I remember kind of going back to the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. That's actually where that started is the year after you ran for Woman of the Year. I got nominated to run for Man of the Year. And I remember we were sitting in Cafe Smitten. And I feel like there was like a notebook. And I actually drew out yeah. kind of like a very rough <laughs> idea and kind of explained like what I had in my head. And... First, so many things to talk about with this, but number one, first of all, thank you. Because, I mean, I don't know if people realize there are seasons of this where I just start texting Christy wild ideas. <laughs> like, what if we do this? Or, you know, hey, I want to try something with St. Jude. Or what about this? Like, what do you think? Like, how much should a hat cost? I mean, so thank you for putting up with all of that. Oh, I love it. It's so fun. You have so many great ideas. You inspire me. Well, thank you. <laughs> So 6615, if you're unfamiliar with it, um, is an apparel line that uh, we created together. So 661, of course, it's Bakersfield's area code, and 615 is Nashville's. And so the first ever hats went to benefit the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And since then, we've done stuff for Nashville Tornado Relief and St. Jude and League of Dreams here locally. And the most recent one uh, was with Stable Forces, which is Mayor's program for veterans. So from your side, like, how has the 6615 thing worked for you? Like, what's it like working with me on it? All of that stuff. Oh, wow. You want me to get real? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It is. It's really fun, actually. It's something I look forward to. It's a lot of work. It's definitely a lot of work. But, you know, any type of um, meaningful fundraiser that you do is a lot of work. So I knew that going in when when we were sitting there at Cafe Smitten and your hand drying all, all of the, you know, the rough draft of what you wanted. Um, I knew what I was getting into. And I was totally fine with it. So, you know, you're so kind and you're always saying, I'm so sorry for for messaging you so much or am I, I'm hoping I'm not bugging you. I really appreciate you. You really go out of your way to make sure that I'm, uh, you know. You do a lot when it comes to 6615, no well, doubt. I appreciate that. So do you. So do you. I have loved doing this. It's very rewarding and really cool. Again, another connection. You meet people from Nashville and they, they're they like, what's 6615? And then when you tell them, they're thinking, they just are blown away. Like, oh my gosh, I have to have that hat. And then when you tell them that it's a fundraiser for an amazing nonprofit, they're even more all in, you know? What is the next thing we should do with that? Mm. I mean, I know like there are probably different nonprofits and stuff we'll find. I mean, we have done hats. Um, we did some hoodies, we did shirts. And actually for the brand new hats, I mean, you worked up a cool new redesign. I mean, that's that's honestly really faithful to the original kind of how we sketched it out, but it's just kind of a new look. How often do you try to like evolve that kind of stuff? I mean, are you always thinking kind of how you can make a current design look a little different? Yes, absolutely. 
you know, you don't want to see the same hat on everybody's head and the same design. So yes, I'm always trying to evolve every single design that I have. Um, so with 6615, it's fun because every time we switch out the nonprofit that we're supporting, we get to come up with something new. And usually I just let you tell me what to do and then I design it. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking with Christy Ludwig and something else I wanted to ask you about, because I've seen you start to tease it and post and you, you talked to me about this a little while ago, but you are about to publish a book. Tell us about the book. Yes, I am. I can't believe it. I've always, always wanted to publish a book since I was a little kid. So this is Again, another surreal moment in my life, but this book is called Beautifully Broken, Beautifully Brave, and I wrote it during a very trying time in my life, and when one of my relationships failed, oh, it was so sudden, and I was heartbroken. I was head over heels in love, and then it was gone, and it was not just that. It was the blending of the families and the kids that were involved and just, you know, all Mm -hmm. of it, so for that to be over so quickly... I didn't really know how to heal from that. When I was going through my divorce, that was almost the same time they nominated me to be Woman of the Year for the, that mm-hmm. Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I loved it because it, it was distracted me and gave me something really positive to focus on. So fast forward to this situation, and I didn't have anything to focus on. I was just really sad, really, really sad. Plus, it was during quarantine, so we're all home. Nobody can do anything. But what I realized, I just started journaling. And this is how it all started. I started journaling and every single day, every time, you know, grief is like waves of emotion. So it doesn't, grief doesn't have to just be death. It can be relationships that fail as well. And that is what I learned. And I'm, you know, the goal of this book is to normalize having a broken heart. It's inevitable. We're all going to suffer it somehow one way or another. But after I was done journaling and I looked over and I was reading through all of my stuff, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I don't think I've ever healed in a healthy way before ever. I'm always distracted or I always keep myself busy. And this time I couldn't. So I was faced with feeling every feeling. And, and so that's what it is. I'm very vulnerable in this book and I share a lot of personal information um, and just how to overcome the heartbreak. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I I want people to understand, I guess, from this book, what I would love for them to take away is broken sounds like such a terrible word. Um, and that is why I named it Beautifully Broken, Beautifully Brave, because, you know, a lot of us feel broken. Like none of us ever really feel like we're whole or, oh, we always have that imposter syndrome, like I'm not good enough or, mm-hmm. you know, we're always comparing. And you know, you look back to the Japanese clay pot that when they when they break, they put it, fill it with gold and make all the cracks beautiful. And then and their belief is that when a pot like that has history, it's beautiful. And that's the same with us and same with humans and our relationships and all of that. So I just want to make sure that people know their worth and they can go through the process of healing in a healthy way and kind of just follow the steps that I took. When will the book be out? Oh, soon. Okay. <laughs> so there's a website that's being created. It's thechristydiane.com um, with two E's in Christy. And that is going to be solely for my book, for that particular book. Um, I plan on this book being a series at some point. So I'll do... That's you know, awesome. I want to touch on different subjects that people struggle with that I just want to normalize the reality of what we go through, basically. So, yeah, check it out, thechristydiane.com. It'll, it's not fully done yet, but you can still check it out. So you are a mom. Uh, you're a business owner. Uh, you're a philanthropist. You're an author of everything. What would you say you are the proudest of? Oh, being a mom, for sure. Being a mom. I 
It's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but the most rewarding because, you know, um, I'm even a dog mom and that's even (laughs) rewarding. I love, you know, that unconditional love right there is the best. But, you know, watching my kids succeed and fail, it's very frustrating and challenging and empowering at the same time. So it's almost every emotion mixed together as a as a parent, which, you know, so um, definitely being a mom is the most rewarding. Well, those are all my questions for you. Now the tables turn and Christy gets to ask me whatever she wants. So go ahead. So you're from Hawaii. Yes. You introduced me to that. I don't even know what it is. It's a Spam and Rice. What oh, it? it's Spam Musubi. Yes. It's that. Well, my son loves it. I cannot stand Spam. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I've never tried it. <laughs> it's just mental. Yes. <laughs> I can't eat it. But you introduced me to it, and then we were at a fundraiser. Yes. And there was a, a Hawaiian... Local Hawaiian business. Yeah. That sells food that was that was there. Um, yeah, Spam Musubi is awesome. So if you're not familiar with what it is, it's... I guess the best way I could describe it to someone who has no idea what it is, is it looks like a sushi brick. Yes. So it's a brick of rice wrapped in the black seaweed that you kind of envision for sushi. And then there's a piece of spam that goes in between the two. So rice, spam, the whole thing is wrapped in seaweed. It's a big deal in Hawaii. I would say if you were making a Mount Rushmore of snacks... Kind of here in the mainland U.S., we'd throw up chips, uh, we'd throw up cookies, that kind of thing. Spam musubi would make the list. Really? There. That's so interesting. People bring it to sports games if you're supposed to bring snacks. They sell it at 7-Eleven everywhere. Wow. I mean, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't know about it. So, I guess my question for you is, how old were you the first time you ever tried this? Man, probably pretty young. I mean, I'd have to guess kindergarten first grade yeah and still when i go to hawaii uh, i find a place to grab spam musubi for sure Uh, okay i guess i'll try it (laughs) i guess i'll try it (laughs) okay another question um what is your favorite part of being a radio dj at kucc my favorite part about being on the radio is two things so one being program director it's definitely Finding specific songs or certain songs that you just watch take off. I think more than ever, because artists more than they used to are writing the songs that they sing, you see kind of how personal it is. Probably a lot like your book. Mm. And when you see, because you've now exposed it to people on the radio, people grasping that. And and then later when you see the artist then come to Bakersfield and people are singing it back to them. Because you had that small role of, of getting it on the radio and, and exposing that song. That's a big deal. Wow. I, I love watching that whole process. And I think the other thing is just kind of having a connection with people. When someone will tell you um, something you said the other day made me laugh. Or I love it when you talk about your kids. Or I'm a San Francisco Giants fan just like you. It just shows like you're connecting with people. So probably those two things. How fun. You have the best First of all, the best radio voice ever. So, <laughs> And it's so fun. Okay, my next question for that is yes. when you are out in the community okay. and you know you know nobody, like you don't know, you don't recognize faces, you're, yep. out, you're out in the community and you don't recognize faces, but everybody knows you, especially when you start talking, you they hear your voice and they are drawn to you and they, how does that feel? Is it weird? Is it awkward? Especially if you're with your family? It is 
a little weird. And, and now, probably even more so than ever, it's not just your voice. It is, to some degree, now your face. I feel like radio you could used to be a little more anonymous. But it's a big thing now to be able to also connect with listeners on Facebook, Instagram. So, you know, you're putting your face and, you know, you're putting yourself out there even a little more. Besides being on the radio, you're sharing other parts of your life, too. It's definitely a little strange. I will say one thing I'm trying to do better is not make it seem so awkward. And it's a catch-22 because, you know, I really try the best I can to remember faces and things. Um, so if I have met someone before, I mean, it's the worst when, you know, someone's like, you know, hey, Brent, how's it going? Or And I'll say, you know, oh, awesome to meet you. And somebody says, oh, remember we did this? And it's like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> that happens to me. <laughs> so, like, I mean, it's it's probably better just no matter what to say, you know, good to see you. Yes. Instead of nice to meet you, good to see you. Great. That's like the perfect yeah. response. <laughs> <laughs> but it's rewarding at the same time because I think that's. The hope is, you know, that you are connecting with people on a certain level that, yeah, they feel like they know you a little bit. And so they feel comfortable to be able to come up and say hello. And honestly, sometimes I need that because really with people I don't know, I tend to be kind of quiet. Like once I get to know somebody a little bit, then I feel more open and, and comfortable with someone. But, you know, I'm generally not the person like if I walk into a room of strangers, I'll kind of walk the room and work the room. I'll kind of be my myself. And if somebody comes over and says, hi, I'll have that conversation. But I'm I'm generally not the person that goes and starts the conversation. Right. Which is interesting because you're so outgoing on air. So, you know, it's really, um, I have no idea why I just said that, but it's true. Like you just. <laughs> and I know it's frustrating sometimes like for Julie, because like, I think Julie sometimes will take me places, whether it's family, coworker, friends. And right, there's this expectation, I think, when I'm, in that situation that I'm going to be animated. I'm going to, and I'll be a little more reserved. I think sometimes like I tell Julie, I talk all day. I'm good being quiet for a minute. Right. Yeah. It's, it's probably, it does take me a second to warm up. Well, I know that I've met a million people in this town that, adore you and love you. So if I oh, ever well, that's say... that's very nice. When I talk about... Maybe this... they have me confused with someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Michaels? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. They know it's you. And they listen to you, and it's really cool. So when I talk about our 6615 fundraiser, people, when the ones that know, they, they're really fascinated by it. So it's cool. My connection with you is very cool. Well, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> okay, my third question. Okay. What is your favorite 6615 hat? I will say there's something always that's going to be about the original. I remember when it was my 40th birthday, you took Julie and I and a group of friends to dinner. And as a gift, you gave me the first ever 6615 hat. Um, Like we hadn't made them yet. They hadn't gone out yet. And so you made one like the original. Um, So that one is probably always going to be my favorite. Definitely. It was, I think, gray and black. Um, I do like the St. Jude ones because I think red has become a really favorite color of mine a little yeah. more. But I really do like the latest ones with the circle. I, I just think that was a really creative way to update the logo. And that, that was all you. Uh, you kind of said, what if we put it in a circle? And, and you kind of showed me what the design would look like. I really do like the circle on the camo ones. Good. Me too. Me yeah. too. Okay. So which is your favorite? <laughs> the original. 
You said the original. <laughs> Probably either the original or this one is almost like a new original because it's the first ones with the circle. So right. probably those two. I don't remember giving you a hat, the first 6615 hat on you your did. birthday. It was, That's it awesome. was my 40th birthday gift from you. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I remember making you a ton of funny hats. I just don't remember what they said. Mm. I was trying to like make your 40th. You were, you know, you were not looking forward to turning 40. Oh, I was not looking forward At to all. turning 40. No. So I was going out of my way to make sure that <laughs> we made it fun. And so I made you these silly hats too with us. If I just don't remember what they said. I heard a comedian talking about that. 40 was the first age for him that he wasn't looking forward to turning. And I guess I'm the same. Uh, now, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I'm going to be 42 in December. It's not that big a deal. But I just have always felt like once you turn 40, nobody thinks you're young anymore. Yes. And, and which is fine. I mean, because everybody gets older and I don't know why I have a complex about that. I mean, because honestly, in the stuff we do, you're around people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. So it, it doesn't necessarily matter. But I think even especially with the artists, a lot of them are in their 20s and 30s. And it's it's something to feel like I'm young like this person. And at a certain point, you realize I am not young like this person. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> How about this is a this is a real deep question. OK. OK. You ready for this? Yes. OK. When you're going through something hard during your life. Yeah. In your private life with your family, you whatever. How do you come to work and have your happy, cheery voice when you know that you're like struggling? It's hard, and and I don't even know how other people in the public eye, like way more in the public eye, do it. So two things. One, I feel like it's so easy to say and it's not easy to do. You do have to kind of check it at the door. You know, I think at a certain point you sort of go into work mode and it's like, okay, you know, I know what I've got planned for my show today. I've, I've just got to do it. I've asked even artists about that before. Mm. You know, I mean... You know, they get in a fight with their boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. How do you, if you're doing that an hour before you have to go give a show. Right. And they kind of say the same thing. You check it at the door. But yeah, anything that's that's kind of in the public eye, whether it be you're on the news. Right. You're a teacher even. I mean, in front of the kids. Right. I guess everybody has that to a certain level. But the thing it always makes me realize is, and I won't say the artist's name, for the longest time, if people have asked, what's the worst artist interview? I give a story about how one time we were at an award show. And I mean, you talk to 30, 40 different artists um, that just kind of come by and do a Radio Row thing. And there was one artist who seemed rude from the time they sat down, you know, the whole time spent wondering where their phone was. They kind of were barking at the escort person that was taking them around who was wow. a student volunteer. And honestly, since then, every other time I've met that person, they couldn't be nicer or more generous. And I think it just goes to show everybody has a bad day. Wow, yep. And so I honestly try not to tell that story anymore because <laughs> everybody has a bad day. I know I've had a bad day. And you say you try to check it at the door, but there's some days maybe you just can't. Right. Yeah. I'm, I ask because I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. I have to, I just stay at my house if I know that it's if I <laughs> emotional yeah. or so I'm not going to leave cuz then people want to talk. <laughs> but I think that's a good thing too. I I've even tried to recognize that that you're right. Sometimes like if you don't know that you should maybe walk away for a minute. Mm, you know, yeah. just and it's not always possible. I mean, if I'm on from noon to 3 at 11:58, I can't just decide I'm going to take a break and walk out. But, you know, right. if you're getting frustrated and you do have a chance to walk away for 15 minutes, it's probably not the worst idea. That's true. That's a good point. Okay, I have another question. Okay. Would you rather, all yes. right? So would you rather 
be laying in a box full of spiders. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm almost <laughs> going to say pretty much whatever you say other than this, but go ahead. <laughs> or would you rather be in the ocean swimming and you know there's a shark there? Are the spiders poisonous or no? No, let's say they're not. But you don't know. You don't know. Um, <laughs> I guess the one shark. I feel like maybe you could get out of that. When you're lying in the box of spiders, the spiders <laughs> are going to crawl. Like, there's, you're, you're there. Like, if you know there's the shark, there's at least the possibility you can avoid it. That's true. That's a good point. But, oh, I don't know I want to do either of those things. I but I guess the shark in the water. I remember seeing that on a reality show, both of those things. <laughs> and I, I remember, I've just thought about it over the years. Like, I don't want to do any of that. Like, yeah, no. Whole, anyway. Christy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Of course, you can check out vibestitch.com. Check out all of the hats, uh, including the fundraisers, including 6615. The website for the book that's coming soon is... TheChristyDiane.com. Okay, com and two E's in Christy. So C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E-E, Diane.com. Yes, Thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, this was so fun. Thanks for having me, Brent. My thanks to Christy Ludwig for being on episode 18 of the DI Podcast. Uh, go back and check out any of the episodes that you may have missed. And again, now please consider giving the podcast a follow or a rating on whichever platform you're listening to this on. Thank you so much for listening. Till the next episode, aloha. episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. You are now locked into a podcast by Johnny D. Moultrie. What Black Boys Need, a conversation piece about our kings. This podcast is about giving hope in the midst of hate, bravery in the midst of brutality, and a higher expectation in the midst of envy. It's time to speak out. Let's get into the show. Get into the show. What's up? What's up? Welcome to What Black Boys Need. I'm your boy, your distant cousin, Johnny D. Motri, and you are officially tuned into the show. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the season finale of What Black Boys Need. It has been such an incredible journey. It's been amazing y'all with what this platform has done already in the first season with just a podcast and we are branching out we are getting into the communities we are making our voice heard thanks to you all thank y'all my fam thank y'all so much my listeners my subscribers and all of the people that have supported me i think i've thanked y'all so much (laughs) on every episode but that just shows like i cannot do it without you all so thank you so so much i'm very excited about the show today as always um, and not just because I like the topic so much, but it is the season finale and I have some exclusive, and I mean exclusive, announcements to share with you guys at the end of the episode. So I definitely want you guys to stay tuned in, listen to all the good stuff that we have going on in this episode, and then stick with us until the end of the episode so you can hear all of our amazing announcements because what black boys need is taking off, just like I said, at the, every, at the end of every episode to infinity and beyond. And it's only up from here. And God has really blessed um, 
myself and this platform and um, everyone that's been a part of this journey just to watch it grow and excel. And so I'm so, so thankful for that. All right. And so again, welcome to the season finale. Let's get into our topic for today. What do black boys need? Black boys need the rites of passage. Go ahead and write that down in your WBBN Bibles. Rites of passage. I think it's very important at this point um, in the world that our young black kings are exposed. And while also being exposed, they're being taught. And so we're going to get into this rites of passage topic. And of course, I'd like to bring to you all the research, the facts. What are we talking about? So what is rites of passage? So if you've ever heard of um, rites of passage or just those words put together, in the formal definition, it is a ceremony or event making or marking an important stage in someone's life. Especially it could be like at birth or puberty or marriage or death. Now, that was the technical definition, the real definition. But it also can be um, a ceremony or ritual Um, of a passage that occurs when an individual leaves one's group to enter another. And so it involves a significant change of status in society. And so we're going to dig deep into that um, in just a few minutes. But I think every culture has some sort of rites of passage, whether it's a ritual that happens at a birthday, at a wedding, an anniversary, a holiday. There just comes a point in time where I feel like a person's life has to change. They cross a bridge and they enter a new stage into their life. And so at around the age of 13, my parents put me in a program in my church that I used to attend to. And the program was actually called Rites of Passage. Now, it was a program that taught us and showed us the importance of like the man's role in the family. And so we were... Um, we were in classes and we were with uh, other groups of young men and they brought in speakers and there was actually a program for our young ladies as well. And so this gave us that transitional time. They taught us and gave us all of these different nuggets and tidbits on how not to really become a man, but a young adult. So you can't go from just a child to a man. I don't think that's possible because you're missing those foundation and those fundamental skills in that young adult stage. And so for me, your trans your transition happens through life and those life events. And through those life e- events, you become a man. And so there are certain life turnarounds, in my opinion, that make you a man. And none of these have to do with like the physicalities of the world. Like I'm not talking about paying your bills. I'm not talking about getting money or going to work. I'm actually talking about your spiritual and your mental being. And so I want you to get out your WBBN Bibles and write down these five things that define you as a man or your manhood. Number one, being a man of your word. If you are not a man of your word, your integrity is jeopardized. You don't have anything that you can fall back on or no one can trust you. I think trust is super important in this world. And so being a man of your word allows others to look at you and trust you and confide in you. 
and they're able to say, okay, I know he's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. So therefore, I'm going to instill a little bit more trust in him, or I'm going to actually take him serious. Uh, taking you serious as a man is different, because if you're not taken serious, then what else is there to to Love others without judgment, and the way you love others will be a reflection on how you love yourself. And so if I'm loving you with care, kindness, I'm being happy, and I'm making sure that you are happy, and making sure that um, even if it's even if it's just in a family relationship, a friendship type of relationship, or even your significant other, the way you treat that other person is going to show me from the outside looking in, but that's exactly how you want to be treated. If I'm treating you with all of these different positive aspects and things in life, then that's the exact same way, maybe even better, that I would want to be treated. And so therefore, I'm not going to show you anything different because anything different or anything or any way that I sway it's going to hinder my um, my success with you. It's going to hinder my my life with you. It's going to alter the plans that I have with you or that we have with each other because I'm not showing you the love that I want to be showed. That goes back to the episode, our first episode of What Black Boys Need. Go ahead and go to that uh, that first episode and catch up if you have not already. Next up, we have hold yourself accountable, men have to hold yourself accountable there's a young black boy that is looking at you and mimicking every single thing you do and if you are not holding yourself accountable for your responsibilities then there's then you're letting someone down there's always on that accountability aspect there's always someone on the opposite end expecting a result and when that result comes back null and void that goes back to being a man of your word and so you have to hold yourself accountable. Then you have to give respect and expect respect in return. Ah, that was such a tongue twister, but let's get it again. You have to give respect and expect respect in return. So if you're not giving respect, it's kind of like with love. Then how do you expect someone to show you respect in return? How are you expecting someone to give you everything that you desire if you're not giving them that same desire back. Because respect can go a long way. I don't care if you're two. I don't care if you're 25. I don't care if you're 200. Respect is showing me at first glance or at first sight that, hey, even though I don't know you, I'm going to show you this mutual understanding that, hey, you're still a human. We're still one in this. You're still my brother. You're still my sister. We're all in this together. We all need each other because as we can tell, if we are divided, then that's going to make it even worse. If we're not standing with each other, then who's going to stand with us when things go bad? Who's going to stand with us when we don't have no one else to turn to? That's why it's important to give respect and expect respect in return. And last but not least on our in my top five things, always have faith in yourself and have faith in have faith in yourself you have so much to offer you have so much to give you have so many things that you can do out in this world and if you don't have faith in yourself then you're not going to be able to have faith in your vision you're not going to be able to have faith in your goals you're not going to be able to have faith in knowing that you can do something now when we're looking at when we're looking at faith 
we're looking at trusting and believing something we can't see. And so I wasn't able to see where black, where what black boys need was going to go. I was not able to see if I do this, then I'm going to get this result. We don't know that. We can't know that because we can't see the future. However, if we're putting our faith in it, if we're putting our trust in it, and if we know and we're manifesting and we're speaking things into existence, then we are putting that faith in ourselves. We're actually sowing in good ground. We're planting that seed because we want to start something. And we already kind of know once we plant something, it has to grow. Once you nourish it, once you give it water, once you give it sunlight, once you give it all of the necessary things that is needed in order for a plant to grow, then at that point, you're going to see those outcomes. You're going to see those results. So always have faith in yourself and have faith in what you're doing. Now, when we look at this rites of passage thing, it's a process. So I'm a member of the best fraternity on this planet. That is Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. And one of the things it taught me was that a process won't be easy. So you want to do this thing and you want to make it right. But no one ever said it was going to be easy. And anything that comes easy, I feel like isn't worth having. And so you have to work for it. I have to work for it. So I had to really display my passion for something I said I wanted. That's why I look at with our topic of rites of passage, like, it's so, so important because we have to expose children. We have to expo- expose our black kings to what could be. Their future is so bright. And so if they take these necessary steps to do what they're supposed to do, then this is where you're going to go. This is where you could end up at. And it's nothing but positivity. It's nothing but going up. It's nothing but seeing our black kings succeed and, and grow Uh, spiritually, mentally, physically, and in their own being and who they want to be. So growing up, everyone wants to be like someone, whether it's like your father or a celebrity. And as a young black man or a young black male, excuse me, I had to make that choice on who to look up to, who caught my eye and who displayed that gratification of who I wanted to embody growing up. And the first person I saw was my father. And I'm grateful. I'm super, super grateful. I love the Padre super grateful that he was there and still there supporting and thank you for that and so I mentioned the process and there are three steps to this rites of passage process and I want us to really focus on these things for our three topics for this episode all right so go ahead and write these down in your WBBN Bibles so we have separation that's the first thing that happens in this process of rites of passage You have to be separated. Next, you have initiation or transformation. You have something that you are going through and you're trying to move and you're trying to work and you're trying to do differently. And then the last thing that we have is the return, the new beginning. So all of these things might sound a little confusing at first, but you know how we do here at What Black Boys Need, the podcast. We're going to dig right into it. And again, that's separation is number one. Initiation and transformation is number two. And the return or new beginning is number three. And there's something about that last stage that, ugh, it's the return for me. All I can think about 
is not returning the same way I came. I left as a boy. I came back as a young man. That is so awesome to me, but I can't wait to dig, dig, dig deep into that. Now, so topic number one, separation. When I looked up this part of the process, it mentioned the initiation, which in this case, it's like we're talking about black boys are taking away from their home or family. In this day and age, that's not happening. We already know that's not happening. I looked up and related um, this process of rites of passage to the East African tradition. And so um, I was kind of making things similar and I was trying to see what some of the differences are, what they do over there and what um, we kind of do over here. But I kept reading and it said that they are stripped of their old life from which the system which supports and sustains the old self. So that means at this beginning portion of our rites of passage stage in the separation, they are torn. They are essentially ripped away from their old home and they aren't to look back because what they're looking back on is their childhood. You're looking back on your childhood and now we know that it's time to move on to become this young adult. And so I love that because at this point, everything you used to do as a child is is gone. Your ways as a child should be separated or you're about to start separating them. So black boys need a guide, a mentor, their fathers or a father figure to teach them this process. The first step, just like any process, is crucial. I think, actually I know. Because this is where the most fight is going to be put up. So others, mentors, and everyone in between, I feel like it is your responsibility to teach this black boy and to show him why it's important to pull away from the responsibilities and teach him that these childish endeavors of being young and having that young mindset should be a thing of the past once you are about to embark on this this journey. It's time to embark on a trip that's going to teach these black kings what it is to be a young man and to start to support their family in ways that look different. It, as a child, you, the way you support or you want to be there for your family is going to definitely look different than what you are doing as a young man or as, as a grown man. I think he should have, I think our black kings should have a positive image that is ready to follow in the footsteps or create their own footsteps because not everyone has that guide or mentor or someone to look up to. And so therefore, um, they embark on their own journey and they have to create their own foundation. That's where our young kings are learning by themselves how to navigate through the world. That's still a rites of passage. That's still something that they need to embark on because they're learning. He should be a, I think our, our role models should be a positive image. He should definitely be a positive image that is ready to show what these black boys should do and how they should operate. Living in the past is a thing that we just don't do. And I think it's time for us to look forward and start creating something for ourselves. Let's establish our own legacy. This is the start. Y'all, it's time to cross over. In this process, when we think of separation, we think of maybe confusion, we think of reservation and denial and frustration, which is all expected, right? I think all that is expected when we're first starting off something that's new, something that's different, something that we've never experienced before or even seen before. But what about the positive side of it? What about 
when we are excited about this new change? What about when we're anticipating it or our creativity? That's when all of that stuff growing inside of us, that little baby that leaps, that's when we know that a change is coming. So we could have all of these um, fears and all of these things because we don't know. When you think of fear, you think of you're scared because you don't know the outcome of something or you don't know what will happen. It's the fear of not knowing. But then I switched it and let's say, all right, so I'm embarking on this new jersey. I'm in on this new journey. I'm excited. I'm anticipating it. Let me see how I can go through this with a different mindset. These are emotions that our young black boys could be experiencing during this time. And I feel like to bring another black king into our kingdom, we have to show this rites of passage. We have to show this process on this is how you do it. And we have to make sure that we have some sincerity. We have some type of sincerity because everyone's journey is not going to look the same. And because we know that, now we have to be cognizant or we have to be mindful of who we're dealing with and what we're dealing with and the situations that we're dealing with because, again, every situation isn't the same. And in this next stage in this process, I feel like this is where the meat happens. So we're going to topic number two. And topic number two is the initiation and the transformation. Oh, this is where it gets really good because this is where it's long. It's challenging. And this is where the child's ego, that young black boy's ego is killed. And the young adult is about to be born. It's about to form. It's about to come to fruition. It's about to come to life. Now, this could be like a physical change like puberty. I think that happens around like 10, 11, 12, 13. The voice starts changing. Um, You start just different things start to happen physically and mentally. And you have these black kings have to be ready for it. And if they're not ready for it, then they're going to seek answers elsewhere. So think about the obstacles and adversities that we go through internally as a young black boy and the questions that we don't know the answers to. These are some of the things that we want people to know when we're scared or we couldn't do certain things. Think about everything we've talked about in this season. Think about the love, the honesty, the mental health, and the protection. (laughs) Fun fact, this is a perfect place to start teaching these young black kings the elements of what black boys need in this stage. I'll say that one more time. We have love, honesty, mental health, and protection. The previous four episodes, the first four episodes of What Black Boys Need, all of those nuggets and tidbits, all of that comes down to this moment right here in our initiation and transformation stage because this is when they're going to learn all of these key elements and start to apply them in the process. Everything in this this season has led up to this moment here where we're displaying the process of manhood, becoming a young adult from where we started as a child. Y'all, it's so important. It's really, 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 really important to make sure that these black kids know where they started and how they started. Because nobody, no no child is going to really remember going into their young adulthood the importance it is to know the difference of acting and doing things as a child as opposed to that young adulthood. Like, it's really, really important so they can differentiate 
the difference in making sure we don't go back to this way because this is not appropriate and making sure I'm acting in this manner because this is the the man I've been taught to be. This is the man I've grown to be. This is the man I'm becoming. This is the young adult of who I am today. All it takes is one interaction, wrong interaction at that, to demolish the assignment that young kings have on their life. We won't stand for it, y'all. We can't. Why would you be comfortable letting someone else that isn't in the destiny or purpose of our young black king's life to take him over and show him what not to do? When was it okay to allow children to make their own decisions? Like, what? We don't do that. I don't let my students tell tell me what they're going to do in school. They're looking at me to assist them in the process of transforming them. Their parents are looking at me to take them through to the next level, to take them through this process of moving them to the next grade. So why don't you do that as a parent or guardian or father figure? Why don't you take that same initiative as me? Take that same stride. Take that same leap of faith. Take it upon yourself to do what you're supposed to do. And when you think of transition, what, what do you think of? When we're thinking of transition and to think of in the in the the process of moving into something else, we're thinking of moving from one state to another, like a new job or a new opportunity. So when you think of all of that, what what are some of the emotions that we we kind of feel? Because when I've moved to a new job or when I've moved to a new state or when I've moved to a new opportunity, there's confusion. There's confusion. No doubt there is. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be a lot of different things because you're scared. You're nervous. You don't know what to expect. But there's also innovation. Remember that opposite side that we were talking about, the positive side. There's innovation. There's new eyes. There's new vision. There's tunnel vision. Mm. Tunnel vision starts to develop and then there are expectancies. There's expectations in it. Once you have your expectations, you won't settle for less at the end of the tunnel because you already know, or I already have this expectation. And so I'm expecting there to be greatness on the other side. And since I'm expecting greatness, there is going to be greatness because I'm speaking it. I'm already manifesting what my life is going to be. I'm already manifesting that what's on the end of this tunnel, that light right there is going to be so much better than what was behind me. And once you have your expectations and you're not settling for less, then these young black boys are going to know what they want. They're going to know how they should be treated. They're going to find the answers no one would tell them. Then at this point, our kings can use their goals to drive drive them and motivate them. Our kings at this point now that they have their expectancies of what is going to be at the end of that tunnel... Their goal is continuing to push them, push them, and push them, and move them towards their purpose. Expectations won't allow you to settle, but goals will drive your expectation. I'll say that one more time for y'all that have y'all WVB and Bibles out. Go ahead and read, go ahead and write them down on this season finale. Expectations won't allow you to settle, but goals will drive your expectations. It's, it's just facts. Because if I have a goal in my head, I already have this expectation that it's already going to be this way. 
And so now, since I already know it's going to be this way, I'm going to do everything in my willpower during this process to make it happen. My goals are driving me. My goals are really what's pushing me because I don't want to let that expectation down. That's a word. I don't want to let that expectation down because if I let that down, I'm going to let myself down. And that's already tapping into the purpose of defining my manhood. Being a man of my word. Holding myself accountable. That goes full circle. Golly. Holding yourself accountable and being a man of your word definitely ties back into our topic to initiation and transformation because you have to bring it all together. And when you bring it all together, you have topic three. You have your new beginning. And this is where we can finally celebrate in this new beginning right here. The relief, the high level of energy and learning. You have your accomplishments and you're just exploring. This is the point where our young kings return to his community. But this is the part in our rites of passage as a young adult where they're, they're growing. They're still growing. They didn't stop growing. They didn't stop going through the process. But this is where they're turning over a new leaf. Think about when you reached a certain age and your parents finally allowed you to do something that you couldn't do before. You stayed out late, you hung out with a little longer with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or you participated in this. The list can go on and on and on. However, we know that with this return and with this new beginning, there's also a new form of respect. The community finally accepts our young black kings and our, our young black boys and We finally have this understanding that this is no longer a child. At this point, we have entered a new mindset. Ah, mindset, mindset, mindset. I've been on this journey with one of my best friends and brothers that you have to change your mindset. And when you change your mindset, your world around you and your reality changes. So I'm I'm walking around every day and I'm already thinking like, you are a millionaire. I'm not walking around with the mindset that I might not have others or I might not have what other people have or I might not have this amount of money or I might not have all these materialistic things. I might not be where I'm supposed to be yet. These are all thoughts that, of course, a human being has when you walk into that season of doubt or you walk into that season where you're seeing everyone around you being blessed and you're you're being isolated. Everyone around you is being blessed and you're isolated and you're trying to feel like you're kind of you're kind of feeling like I'm in this alone or I need I need some help. or I need something to do because everyone's doing great and I'm just sitting here like a stump on the log. No. You have to change your mindset to think you are better than that. Once you change your mindset, your situation changes. Once you change where you think you're coming from and where you are going, that at that point, that's when you have conquered all. You can be or do whatever you want to be, our young black king. You can see anything, you can go anywhere, you can experience anything, but you can do anything you put your mind to as long as you go for it. Season one of What Black Boys Need presented its challenges, of course, and it presented its ups and downs, but I couldn't let that stop me. I learned this mentally, like, in my rites of passage 
um, journey with my father and my church and my community that everything won't be easy. That you have to work for everything that you wanted or that you that you put your mind to or that you dreamed. Even though my process was led by men, the rites of passage um, journey takes a village. It takes a village of strong people. And it might not look like the next person or your journey, of course, might not look like my journey. However, it it's how we go about um, maneuvering through the process. Because you could also be taught some bad things in the process. Parents, you could be feeding your child poison. You could be feeding your black king something that he shouldn't be fed. Just because you went through it, that does not mean that that was right for him. That's why I say we have to be mindful and we have to be cognizant of who our black kings are. Because every process is not going to be the same. So therefore, you have to maneuver, you have to change, you have to switch around some things. But you still want to keep that same foundation. You have to keep that same foundation and you have to keep that same plant growing. But let them experience something new. Do something new. Without this, I feel like our black kings won't be able to grow and they won't be able to do what they're needed to do in this world. And our rites of passage, I feel like, is the segue into maturity. It's our segue into growth and it's our segue into change. What black boys need is love, honesty, protection, mental health awareness, and many, 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 many more things. And that can form into a strong man. These needs, I feel like, all go through the process of rites of passage and the reward at the end is way better than I could ever imagine. The reward I've gotten just by sitting back and thinking mentally and spiritually and physically, how can I do something better? How how can I be someone better? Not for just me, but for my family, for my friends, for my loved ones, just people that are around me every day, my colleagues, my young black kings. How can I really show them that this is what is needed to be done. This is life. And with the rites of passage, we are able to show the process. We're able to go through the journey. We're able to grow. And that is what I love about what black boys need. Because what black boys need, here we are giving you all the tools. We're giving you the, the mindset. We're here to shift your outlook on things and shift your outlook and change what we can do in this world to give our black boys what they need in order for everyone else that's looking at us to act accordingly. Y'all, it's real out here. And for us not to want to go through a journey means we're being selfish. For us not to want to actually put our minds towards something to change something or someone for the good, like our young black kings, so they can see better. When you know better, you do better. And so now that we know, let's go ahead and act on it. Let's do better by showing this world who we are. We are young black kings. I don't care how old you are. We are all young black kings. And we are all here to make a difference. We are all here to show the world what we can do in a positive way. We don't need to be looked down upon. We don't need to be looked at as aggressive or someone that can't do something or Someone that someone's always being scared of. Let's change the narrative, y'all. It's time to speak out. All right?
that was our episode for Rites of Passage, and that was the season finale, the conclusion of season one. Wow, that was good. I had fun with that. My research, I get it just extends from page to page to page as I'm just looking through and giving you guys all of these nuggets and tidbits. Like, it was so awesome. It's so awesome. I can't wait for season two to come back. I'm coming back stronger than ever. I'm coming back with so many different uh, projects. I have guests. We have so many people coming through on season two. I wanted to open this up because I wanted you all to hear other people's story. And so season two, we will be back in one month. I have a lot of different things we're working on. And speaking of a lot of different things, let's get to this exclusive announcement. All right, so what Black Boys Need behind the scenes has been working. Like I've mentioned every episode, we've been working, 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 and working. And so I'm so happy to announce that What Black Boys Need is finally available online with our website. We have an official website, y'all. Please go to www.whatblackboysneed.com. Again, that is www.whatblackboysneed.com. And there you will be able to find, drumroll please, here goes our next exclusive announcement. You will be able to find the official What Black Boys Need shirts. Yes, they are finally out. Y'all, I have gotten so many inquiries about our shirts because ever since I posted our What Black Boys Needs shirts, they've just been off the wall. Like, people have been saying, where can I get these shirts from? I want to support. I want to help out. I want to do anything I can. And now is your opportunity. For $20, y'all, you can go ahead and get your What Black Boys Needs shirts. They are super dope. I've been working with multiple artists to make sure that these shirts are right just for you all. And so I've already gotten my shirts. Now it's time for you to get your shirts. So please go to www.whatblackboysneed.com and you are able to explore, look at some of the different things that we're doing, learn about who we are, and order your official What Black Boys Need t-shirt. All right? We have three different, unique, and cool different designs that you can choose from. All of them are official. All of them rep the brand. And I can't wait to see what you guys um, are going to do. And can't wait to see you guys post and share all of these different things in your search. Also, thank you for sharing um, the advertisements for What Black Boys Needs, all of our cover art, and um, going through Instagram and Facebook and all social media outlets. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing. We recently just did this t-shirt competition or this t-shirt contest um, where you just had to repost our flyer and just tag some friends so we can get the word out there what black boys need. And it has by far, this is the first one that I've ever done, and by far it has been really cool and amazing to see how much love is out there and not just by my friends and family but by complete strangers so thank you thank you to that and that will be released later on tonight those names and those winners um also thank you for streaming thank you for streaming and thank you for downloading our episodes thank you for listening i love you guys so much from the bottom of my heart i cannot thank you enough now there are even more surprises happening i mean big surprises and so please be on the lookout during our small hiatus i'm not going to really call it a hiatus because we're still 
behind the scenes doing stuff and we would still be releasing content however during this um, slight break please continue to stream and please continue to be on the lookout for many more other exclusive announcements and surprises because they are coming and they are happening to you coming to you straight off the gate all right y'all i love y'all i really mean it and i'm a little sad that this is the last episode for season one but i'm really excited because season two is coming fast and it's gonna be here before you know it all right and so let's do it how we always do it it's to infinity and beyond and we're only going higher from here be blessed take care be safe get those vaccines and wear your mask i love you all I really do mean it. Shout out to my family. Shout out to my friends. You guys are all amazing. And shout out to you all, especially my WBBN fam. All right? I love y'all. And I'll see y'all. And until season two, peace. You have been listening to What Black Boys Need, a podcast by Johnny D. Moultrie. We hope you enjoyed. Until next time, be sure to rate or review us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.